The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, independent journalist Jessa Thompson returns to tell us about the UK's terrible plan to ship immigrants to Rwanda, which their Supreme Court recently found to be illegal, and the state of the nation's immigration system. Plus, cop city contractors saw their trucks set on fire, the right wing has a big ol' riot in Dublin, and the Swedes are tired of Tesla's crap. But first, Sophie found a bulbous bit of AI art. So I'm looking at some AI art right now, and I think that people have been people have been really derogatory of AI art and its ability to generate like really meaningful art. But I saw this tweet today, um, and it's a it's a guy said life is not easy as a man. Now I didn't find it very easy living as a man, so I obviously I found this very appealing. I I, I went to look at the image attached, and I've just put it in the group chat so you can see. But um, basically, you got this guy, and he has uh, he has eight arms, and um, in those arms, in his hands. He's holding his wife. She's pregnant. Uh, he's holding his house, uh, which I think it, it kind of looks like a, a kennel, honestly. So maybe like that is a struggle that he's <laughs> experiencing is that he lives in a, a, a doggy house. Um, he's holding two crying babies in two of these hands. And then in the remaining hands, well, one of them's empty, right? Um, yeah. One of them has a, a, has, a, has a brown onion in it. Another one of them has a, a red onion in it. And then another one has some spring onions in it. <laughs> and um you know i just i think that's really says a lot about society one of them's empty yeah he's empty if you look in the i've just what put it in, in our shadowy cabal so you can see uh but yeah it's all um he's got a lot he's got a lot to juggle yeah and um, he's got like 15 frown lines as well yeah i just yeah. i i can't help but feel like maybe he would be he would be able to handle his problems more if he put down some of those onions. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe he's holding too many onions. I'm always, um, as a man, finding it like, you know, yeah. I, I'm always pushed to hold onions. Like, and I, I can't deal with that. That's it's, interesting. It's... See, that was the thing I was curious about. Like, I didn't remember that as mu- any part of my experience. No, but I thought, it's... you know, maybe I was dissociating from it too much. I didn't have a good yeah. memory of what it was like. Or maybe the times have changed. And this is what I want to ask you, Mule. Like, as a modern man in 2023... Yeah. How often are you asked to hold onions? Yeah, all the time. Feminists are always coming to my house. They're always saying, please hold more onions. You, I've uh, done this. Horrible. Yeah, Kira's done this. Kira got a plane over to the UK <laughs> to ask me to hold an onion for her. It's very expensive. I'm not holding enough onions. I'm not doing my bit as a man. So you know what? He's right. Uh, he's right and he should say it. Okay. And let it be known oh. that Red Planet is officially a pro-man stream as we do have a man on the show with us right now, <laughs> DJ Mule. Um, so we do have a cis man yeah. friend. We're trying it's, to promote, it, 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 promote it, it, diversity by having a cis man. Ticket a box. I understand yeah. that I'm tokenized and like, this is fine. Like I've, I've made peace with it, you know, so. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, well, <laughs> welcome to Red Planet. <laughs> the most pro-man Twitch stream there is. That might ironically be true, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god! Um, I why don't I ask? Why don't I ask another question, Mule? What's the most base thing you did this week? 
Well, Sophie, uh, we had uh, a bit of a, a two-week break. Um, so in that time, I did. Uh, I've, I've been doing a, a fair bit, so I'm just gonna like kind of summarize it as tenants union stuff. Uh, Great managed it. Tenants union. We had uh, our annual general meeting last Saturday, and we elected a bunch of new people to the committee. So we now have like a comms officer who's gonna be able to like do a bunch of Instagram posts, social media stuff, connecting campaigns to people. Uh, you know, doing callouts in what's whatsapp groups and stuff like that so that's really good we've also got uh a new deputy treasurer because our old treasurer is leaving manchester and can't do it anymore uh and we got loads of new activists um and also um that has been my job my job has been training those activists those member solidarity officers so i've been doing a lot of that this week i think i've trained like well not fully trained but like inducted i think uh five different activists this week on like kind of like you know how we speak to members safeguarding prioritizing disputes uh and also you know capacity you know there's just like very basic stuff about sort of like inducting people into being um you know an activist with the, with the union um and we also had uh a protest that i'm going to speak about later on in our comrades of the show update because it's not necessarily me it's you know comrades of the show kind of thing uh but yeah no it's it's been really really good sort of like you know talking to new people watching the union grow in real time um and just yeah getting a lot of very very exciting stuff on the go um including a thirty-five thousand pound rent repayment uh demand being tentatively agreed to uh by uh, a landlord who has just been one of the biggest pieces of shit uh of all time so that's very very exciting so those are the base things that i've done over the last few weeks uh yeah. kira tell us about some of the base things you've been up to um i've been doing weekly protests for palestine so i've kind of just firmly made that part of my every weekend i just do a, a palestinian protest um this past or at least i guess on friday uh, yeah. So this Friday, a few days ago, we protested through the street of, I believe it was Michigan Avenue, uh, which is like the main shopping street in Chicago, in downtown Chicago on Black Friday. And so we just try to make it extremely disruptive to, to just go about your day and just do your willy nilly shopping at like Burberry and, and all the bougie places. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing a lot of protesting, which has been feeling really good. And, um, also been just trying to post the news like directly from Palestine because I don't see a lot of news outlets doing that. Um, there's a lot of like Al Jazeera as much as it it might be a quality it might it might be one of the better ones is still not like truly reflecting a lot of what's going on in Palestine. So I've been trying to take that on over at Blue Sky. Um, and I'm also trying to learn Arabic so I can understand how to read it when i see it all over the place and because i'm looking at primary news sources coming out of palestine and i don't speak hey, arabic that whips that's really cool <laughs> oh thanks yes. um and so i'm also trying to learn arabic because i mean i'm going to all these these protests it's tons of uh arab people lots you know palestinian people and a lot of what they're speaking is arabic and a lot of the chants are in arabic and so i've been learning those chants and so that's what what i've been up to but On that on that just before you move on i do want to say just how useful you will be to multiple other organizations if you speak arabic particularly immigration aid 
organizations if you learn mm. Arabic. So just something to consider. That's a good point. It's also it's also remarkable because I'm I'm learning that a lot of the IOF doesn't speak Arabic. A lot of the people that are running Israel don't speak Arabic. And so they're it's 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 just another sign of just how painfully apartheid that that um colonial project is that they're like not even willing to learn the language of the people they're oppressing. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of like um at least that's my theory as to why you're seeing a lot of these news outlets are like the the uh, Israeli uh, the Israeli like higher ups that are insisting that they found some Arabic writing and therefore it means something something Hamas terrorist when like you translate and it's just the days of the week or something. Um, but yeah. Anyways, thank you. Yeah, Mule, I, I appreciate that because it's that's another reason to uh, to learn Arabic, which is by the way, it's been a little challenging because you know it's it's not. I it's Arabic, but um, if I can be useful in multiple ways from learning the language, I think that that's providing me even more inspiration. And plus, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. So yeah, it's gorgeous language. It's, it's yeah. gorgeous. Sophie, Kara, what, what what have you been up to? What base? I mean, you're always based. You're you're just you are based. You are As what you know, based I'm, is. I'm an Antifa super soldier. That's um, true. And so it's no surprise that the last couple of weeks I've been fighting fascism absolutely nonstop. Let me tell you about some of the forms of fascism I've been fighting. Uh, number one, uh, germs in my body. That was fascism, uh, making me sleepy and tired and giving me a cough. Um, that is literally fascism. So I, I fought those really well. Um, that was why we didn't have a show last week. I was fighting the fascism of germs in my body um, with my with my incredible super soldier strength. Um my girlfriend got this for like a week, was completely stuck in bed. I got it for like two days. So, you know, clearly skill issue that speaks to my incredible power. Um, the second the second form of fascism that I fought against in the last couple of weeks um, was writer's block and also Israel, but mostly writer's block. Um, because every time that I've been trying to write recently, I've been like really just like overwhelmed by what's happening in Gaza. And I've just been like what the fuck is the point of anything that I'm writing? Like, this is just like unimportant. Uh, And it's not like the stuff that I'm writing at the moment, the stuff I've been working on for the last couple of months is like fucking heavy stuff to do with like abuse and how we move through trauma and stuff. It's going to be valuable to people. And I know that. Um, Absolutely. And it, and still like trying to talk about it when there's genocide going on, I'm just like, fuck. Uh, So I, I kicked my writer's block in the ass and while, actually simultaneously, while I was battling the fascism of germs in my body, uh, I was also battling the, the fascism of writer's block because I did my writing about Gaza while I was delirious with the flu. Um, so if anyone has any criticisms of what I wrote, you can't because I was sick. Um, uh, <laughs> but I put that out. I, I, I made the video in a couple of days um, and put it up on my channel and, you know, a few, like... You know, ten, ten, like it's got like tens of thousands of views already, which is really good. And I uh, have had a couple of comments from people in Palestine, and that's been really moving. Just people like really valuing that I'm speaking on it and really valuing what I've said. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a call for people to engage in direct action because um, fucking we got to stop the genocide. Um, and then the third form, uh, it's the well, it, it's kind of the same thing again because it was it's still uh, ultimately fighting for. Uh, Gazans, but I went to uh, one of the Palestine demos. Uh, finally, I have not been on previous weeks for various reasons, um, and one of those reasons is that I do get like sometimes like get really bad panic attacks in crowds. Um, 
Uh, my uncle was actually killed in a crowd crush, the Hillsborough mm. disaster. Uh, so it does really freak me out. But I, um, uh, I did go yesterday. I did get panicky. So like pretty good demonstration to myself of why it was kind of okay <laughs> that I haven't been to the other huge demos. Uh, but like, yeah, it was good. It was really good energy. Like there were um, 300,000 people in London yesterday um, marching for Palestine. There were a lot of speakers. There was someone uh, speaking who like sp- uh, who is very directly affected. Like his his family's home is gone uh, because of the bombing. Um, there were a bunch of like Orthodox Jews in uh, religious garb who were like uh, you know like demonstrating to show like that that, that they, they that they are against Israel. And I thought that was really valuable because I think a lot of the time like. Um, uh, when there's a conflation of like Zionism and Judaism, uh, sometimes like well, a, a lot of the time, rather like Zionists get away with portraying it as like it's the liberal secular Jews who don't really care as much and they're not that Jewish who are the ones who yeah. are against Israel, and it's the real Jews who who like Israel. And so it was really cool to see like um, members of the community in that way showing up and being like, nah, fuck that. Um, and yeah, lots, lots of great speakers and um good energy in general it was smaller than previous ones but like still bigger than a lot of protests that happen in london so like yeah i was really pleased with that um but but that's not all i have to tell you about because there is also a based viewer this week (gasps) what yeah uh m has written to us and said I've been helping a local grassroots org fight to pass a legislation that includes a ban on conversion camps, anti-discrimination recognition for queer people, and abolishment of the gender recognition board in favor of self-ID laws. That's pretty fucking based. Uh, We want to know... We want to know what based things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you're cool with that, and we may shout it out in a later episode. Uh, Now that we've done everything based, uh, Neil, do you want to tell us about uh tesla workers i do indeed uh someone in my twitch chat uh said this uh to me like or maybe it was my discord uh a couple of weeks ago um saying it was sort of like a general strike while it's not a general strike it is really really based and kind of like moving towards that uh so this is the swedish workers who are uniting against tesla and uh, in what started as a strike by Tesla mechanics is now spreading and has become a battle between Elon Musk's car maker Tesla and the conventions that Swedish workers say help make the country's labor market fair and efficient. The standoff in Sweden is the biggest union action and the company has faced anywhere in the world. A bit of background on Sweden's labor laws. Sweden doesn't have laws that set working conditions such as minimum wage. Instead, these rules are dictated by collective agreements. If a type of contract, sorry, a type of contract that defines the benefits employees are entitled to such as wages and working hours. For five years, Industrial Workers Union IF Metal, which represents Tesla Mechanics, has been trying to persuade the company to sign a collective agreement. When Tesla refused, the mechanics decided to strike at the end of October. Then they asked fellow Swedish unions to join them. Now this strike has escalated to a blockade of Tesla products in Sweden. Workers are refusing to participate in any part of Tesla. Cleaners aren't cleaning the Tesla showrooms or service centers. Mechanics are refusing to fix Tesla charging points. And dock workers are refusing to unload Teslas from any ship in any port in Sweden. Even the former Prime Minister, Stefan Lofen, announced he will refuse to get into a taxi if it's a Tesla. 
The last company that tried to ignore the Swedish labor market model was Toys R Us in 1995. After a three-month strike that expanded to boycott uh, to a boycott by other unions, the company eventually caved and signed a collective agreement. Solidarity with Tesla workers. Yeah, absolutely awesome solidarity that we're seeing there. Some incredibly good positive leftist news there. Um, can but, I just uh, can yeah. I just say that uh, I just learned recently that Teslas have a um, other than the, the fundamental flaw that they have vulnerability that they still haven't patched. And I can personally vouch they have not patched this where you can take um, what is that little device called? I forgot. But it's like little like kind of like handheld like hacky device and you just put some info in it and you can go I'm, around to I'm any told by sources that it's called a flipper zero yeah sources say yes thank you um a flipper zero like they still have impassioned his vulnerability where you can open the charging port of literally any tesla with this gadget um but also i just recently learned this today that tesla's um have this like faulty uh air intake system that just grows mold and so now it's like a whole thing where Tesla, like Tesla owners are like, if you Google like, t- like what's that smell in my Tesla? It's just like tons <laughs> of posts where people, all these Tesla owners are like, what the hell? Why is my Tesla smell horrible? And it's because it's, they didn't design it properly. Now there's just like mold growing in these Teslas. My, my go-to response now is just going to be like, anytime someone's proud of that Tesla, I'm just gonna be like, okay, bro, but my car doesn't have swamp ass. So, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now it's like these YouTube videos on like how to deep clean like you have to regularly deep clean like this like exhaust part of like your intake part of your tesla and you always have to do it because it keeps smelling again over and over again so um (sighs) yeah Yeah. tesla epic yeah for real well kara you are carrying on and, and and telling us about the starbucks stuff yes yes um so starbucks not a friend of the worker. Uh, Starbucks continues union busting and violating other labor laws and refuses to negotiate with the existing unions. A uh, recent analysis by the NLRB, trials compiled by the Labor Board, um, administrative judges have ruled that Starbucks broke the law in 34 out of 36 cases that had decisions as of October 18th. Judges dismissed some charges within those cases, but found merit in others and ordered Starbucks to cease and desist its violations. The charges that were upheld included firing union activists, closing stores where union support was high, withholding raises and benefits from union supporters, making promises if workers chose not to organize. The officials have told Starbucks to reinstate at least 33 former employees so far, though the cases involving those workers are currently on appeal. Judges ruling over labor law violation cases have commented that Starbucks's labor violations were egregious and widespread and that Starbucks displayed a, quote, rich history of anti-union animus, end quote, during the campaign. Another judge wrote that it was only rational for employees to, quote, assume that they're risking their livelihood by organizing, end quote, given Starbucks's actions. Uh, Harvard Law Professor Sharon Block, who is also a former member of the NLRB, said, I would bet that there is no other company that has amassed this many violations in a similar time period saying it just paints a picture when you put it all together of a company that is absolutely willing to violate the law in order to have to having to deal with this union. This plus uh, Starbucks suing unions for not for posting for Palestine, which is, by the way, why many people are shaming Starbucks right now with 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 everything that's happening in Gaza. Um, Starbucks is actually suing Starbucks unions 
that are posting positively about Palestine. Um, all of this led to a one day strike on quote unquote Red Cup Day. So this is a few weeks ago. But Red Cup Day is a high traffic, like a really high traffic, highly publicized day where Starbucks famously gives away these collectible, reusable Starbucks cups. Um, so on Red Cup Day, workers stopped their labor and picketed instead in front of their stores, informing any potential customers of what the situation is and to not buy from Starbucks until Starbucks listens to its workers. So uh, solidarity with Starbucks workers. Massive, massive solidarity with Starbucks. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Sophie. Yes, Kira. Can you tell me Wait, what's going on in Dublin? I know what's going on here. You want to know all about Dublin. Oh, I was I, I, I'm dying to know. what you were going to say thing, but you, 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 you've been looking in the notes. You already know. Okay, fine. Um, the Dublin riot here. I know it's a, it's a botched bit. They can't all be bangers. Um, so there's, there's been rioting in Dublin, uh, which sucks. Um, what sucks even more is that it's, uh, it's far right. Uh, rioting in response to uh, a stabbing. As so often happens, uh, there is immediate, um, like, furore and uh, manufactured outrage uh, about how immigrants are ruining the country among the far right uh, when there is some kind of uh, attack. Uh, I, I'm, I'm saying this uh, absent of the details of the attack for a second because, like, we, I just want to comment, like, we all know that the far right do this no matter who has done the attack. They're always jumping to, like... Um, and so if, if, uh, if it if fingers can be pointed at any kind of immigrant, uh, then they then they take this as an opportunity to kick off. Um, some context about Dublin is that, like, it's really worth saying, like, it's a place that has been absolutely horrifically fucked by uh, real estate capital. There is a massive, like, there 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 are massive issues of like poverty and homelessness um, that are driving a lot of like the far right rise in Dublin at the moment, and have been for a really long time. Um, and so. I don't know. It's just important to look at what the material conditions are there. Um, there's also a lot of uh, based uh, leftist shit there too. Katu is uh, one that springs to mind regarding directly what you're just talking about. Community Action Tenants Union. Um, we spoke to them, Great Manchester Tenants Union, uh, earlier in, in the year. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, there's, there's tons of based stuff in Dublin as well. Um, but this is this is absolutely not that. Um, and, you know, who who is who is able to demonstrate and who is able to uh, uh, claim the space in in this kind of uh, outburst uh, is often really dictated by the police, which is my lead into saying that the Dublin police said they were going to go easy on the far right uh, and said they were going to take a gentle approach to them. Uh, and uh, so, of course, the far right set fire to a bunch of uh, public transit and uh, migrant housing. Um, yeah, so uh, shit's kind of bleak, but I think it's always important to uh to look at some wider context which is why i've mentioned some of the like stuff that leads into this kind of radicalization uh and and that there is other like based organizing in in dublin as well i don't like to just leave people with a completely bleak situation although this is a very bleak story um uh just reading from a bbc bbc article here it says after the stabbings rumors spread on the what on the whatsapp telegram and signal messaging apps and far-right agitators decided they would protest at the crime scene. But that escalated into violence, and the rioters, including children and young adults, soon took over a large area of Dublin city centre. Um, for months, there has been a real concern that something like this could happen. The far-right in the Republic of Ireland has grown and has grown and become incredibly emboldened recently, holding a protest outside the Irish Parliament. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that's all we have to say about this for now. Um, yeah, this was the most, uh, the most riot police deployed in Irish state history. Uh, so that's why yeah, it was a very big riot, 
very violent and and that's why it's kind of worth pointing out but um mule do you want to tell us about atlanta I do, because uh, in the big war against Doomerism, uh, that last story may have been uh, a little bit of a, a, a defeat, but this next one is a victory in, in, in certain terms, in material terms, which is what we like. Uh, so Stop Cop City activists have set fire to some cement trucks uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Police are trying to build that big old Cop City training facility, which is a simulation of urban neighborhoods to give cops a way to practice policing and deaden themselves to the inhuman nature of their jobs. It's extremely similar in concept to the IDF's Mini Chaza, which is a constructed environment to prepare Israeli fascists for brutalizing Palestinians. And this isn't surprising, given that the IDF and American police forces are longtime close friends. After public outcry, mass protest, forest defense in the Atlanta forest that would be bulldozed for Cop City, and the execution of one protester, Tortugita, by Georgia State Patrol, the state is still pushing ahead with plans to construct the Cop training ground, and protesters are ramping up resistance methods. On Monday, November 13th, activists from Stop Cop City set fire to six cement trucks, which were uh, 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 used to be to pour the foundations at a building site for Stop Cop City. And I am just going to read uh, the statement from this one tweet. Um, so this is what it says. It says, on the night, November 13th, we set fire to six Ernst concrete trucks at 553 Seaboard Industrial Drive. Ernst is pouring the foundation for Cop City. This site, like so many others, is completely unguarded. Front pouring cement mixing trucks have large rear engine compartments which can be accessed without opening any doors. We placed incendiary devices and kindling near the engine block, the fuel tank behind it, and the double rear tires. We encourage further experimentation with incendiary placement. There was there was a time when contractors were afraid to take on this project. If we can make the cost of the contract greater than the profit, then they will drop it. Sneaking around at night is fun and burning shit is cool. And this statement is not related to any particular organization. It is simply an affiliate action, an affinity group action. Um, so very interesting, very cool, very based. Of course, we at Red Planet would never say break the law. Uh, that's really bad and therefore it's illegal and therefore it's wrong and bad. But we're going to just see more and more of this stuff, aren't we? The more and more that, uh, you know, uh, people refuse to listen to the people, people in power don't listen to the people who are protesting and, and actively do not want this thing to go ahead. Um, and I do remember reading reports upon hearing about this uh, particular action uh, that said that the, 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 the company itself had said that they are considering like terminating the contract as a result of this. Um, so this stuff has tangible, tangible results. Um, and of course, it is a tangible material action as well. Uh, but next up, uh, we got an update with what is going on in Gaza, uh, and that is from our wonderful Kira Chats. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to try to review this briefly because obviously a lot has been going on for the past two weeks since we've last had a show in Gaza and in the West Bank and in surrounding places because it's not only it's we're not just seeing a, um, Israeli violence only in Gaza. We're seeing it in um, multiple places outside of Gaza as well as definitely in Gaza. So um, this is me trying to do a very brief rundown and um, please don't take this as a comprehensive uh, <laughs> comprehensive summary. So the death toll in Gaza right now um, 
is, and these numbers are oftentimes undercounted, but the death toll that I have is 14,854 people. Uh, 7,000 people are unaccounted for, and that includes more than 4,700 children, and thousands of people are currently trapped under the rubble. There has been a ceasefire called. Now, I put ceasefire in air quotes um, because this is something that, one, Israel has already violated. <laughs> um, the cease And the ceasefire only applies to Gaza, not the West Bank, not Lebanon, um, which Israel has been attacking and killing civilians in and journalists in and attacking hospitals in. Um, but the ceasefire that Israel and uh, Hamas have uh, agreed to is only for four days and it only applies to Gaza. Um, and so we're on day three right now. So we have another after today, it's another day. The ceasefire also includes a hostage exchange. Uh, so this is going to be hostages that are held by Israel called Israel likes to call them prisoners, but let's face it, they're abducted hostages. And, um, Israel is releasing women and children, I believe three Palestinian women and children for every one Israeli hostage as held by Hamas in Gaza. I, I believe the main, I believe the mainstream uses are calling those uh, female people and people under 18. Uh, no, they're saying they're me, these are men under 18. They're saying uh, men, 16 to 17 nice. year old men. Jesus yeah. Um, so I just want to point out one of the stories of one of the hostages that was released um, by Israel to show you just the Im immense asymmetry of what the apartheid occupation is. Um, for instance, this is from Samadun Network, who, by the way, if you're watching, we would love to have you on. <laughs> so this is one of the people that's liberated uh, by uh, by the hostage exchange, Sharuk Dwayat. Uh, she's been in prison since 2015 as a 19-year-old Palestinian student at Bethlehem University. She was sentenced to 16 years in prison after defending herself from a settler man who tried to grab and remove her hijab. We're also seeing lots of children released. Um, very similarly outrageous stories of why they were uh, incarcerated by Israel. And we're also getting reports from these children of the immensely horrific conditions in these Israeli prisons. Um, some are saying that there's children that are 10, 12 years old with their heads split open and just laying on the ground. This is attacks by the IOF officers. We're also hearing that these uh, prisoners, again, children, are being forced to eat only dry rice kernels as food and are given one sheet to sleep with and in a, a very, very cold temperatures, which only affords them a few hours of sleep at night if they can manage it. Um, people are dying in these prisons. They're absolutely horrific, horrific conditions. And so I, I see this hostage exchange as a, an immense win, although it's obviously in the environments of a genocide and, and still the continued occupation of Israel over Palestinian land and people. Can I just say? It's like it's the there's so much focus on the hostages because of because of uh, Zionist bias that like uh, the, as in the people taken hostage by Hamas that like it's really worth saying all this about about the way that Israel treats uh, prisoners because when we hear prisoners being exchanged for hostages it really it sure does sound like maybe the hostages have the worst time right well they're, if they're prisoners they must have done something and it's like no. Uh, so much they haven't, like so much of the time they haven't, uh, where they have, like they're living under fucking occupation and genocide already. Um, and like Israel uh, has a policy with a lot of Palestinian prisoners of just like keeping the, make, making them serve the term if they, even if they die, 
like just keeping the body and refusing to release the the dead body to the family uh, for until their full prison sentence is up. Like the level of dehumanization and disrespect from Israel is uh, in, incalculable. Yeah, I mean, like the the holding on to Palestinian bodies is something that uh, Israel did formally as a policy up until I believe formally i i don't know the exact date but i think it was maybe 1996 or maybe beyond 1996 now they claim they don't do this anymore but i don't believe them um but formally their policy was to uh to keep palestinian bodies that they killed and then to harvest organs and skin and then to eventually maybe give them back to the family but oftentimes just throw their body into a mass grave and this is like this is the this is the level of like incalculable like unbelief genuinely it strains belief like the horror of israel because like you say thing this is one of the, i saw someone sharing this about like harvesting organs and skin and saying like this sounds like it's it must just be an anti-semitic lie because it's so specifically horrible yeah and the official israeli position is like oh yeah we stopped doing that like they, they acknowledge it was a thing they were doing um yeah it's, it sounds like cartoon villain shit Let's let's not forget the cum jackers as well, who like actively try and remove sperm from dead Israeli soldiers so that they can have babies posthumously. Nightmare Starship Troopers shit. Like what is going on? The levels of like race supremacy, Eth- like no nationalism. Suprem- yeah, this is what it looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just fun fact: Israel, tiny, tiny country has the biggest uh, skin bank in the world. There's a reason for that. And it's not because Israeli Jews, which, by the way, I believe it might be against Judaism, not sure, for um, uh, organ donation. I'm not positive I read something like that. Someone can correct me. But it, I, I assure you, it's not because Israeli Jews are, are just giving up all their skin when they die. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, where were we? Israel's an apartheid state is is the moral of that um so yeah i just also want to stress that this so-called ceasefire um has only is was already violated on day one by israel israel was uh has there's video of israel shooting at uh gazans that were trying to go up north to return to their homes to check out their homes to see if they've been demolished see if they can get any supplies and uh israeli troops are uh shooting at them so they've already broke the ceasefire and i don't see any international outcry about this the typical mo of israel what they do is they agree to a ceasefire begrudgingly they violate the ceasefire immediately and then when um there's any sort of arab resistance to that violence they pretend that you know it's Arabs are just generally speaking violent barbarians. <laughs> like, like it's that's the MO. They just keep pushing this this narrative that you can never make peace with Arab people, even though it's Israel that is always violating these agreements. So they've done it again. Congratulations, Israel. You're exactly who we think you are. Um, I should also add that the ceasefire only applies to Gaza, like I said. West Bank violence is is the worst it's been ever. There are not there are airstrikes. So <laughs> the airstrikes have now hitting West Bank um, at night. Israel is demolishing houses with Caterpillar equipment, which is why also Caterpillar's on the BDS list. Um, there's settler violence where settlers are just going up to um, up to Palestinians and shooting them. Um there's abductions. There's there's Palestinian students that are being abducted from their dorms by the states. 
I saw a video of a of an IOF officer just going up to a Palestinian man with his with his little daughter, and he just shot him in the face with a rubber bullet. Like this, this is none of this is part of the quote unquote ceasefire. They're they're besieging hospitals. Like it's it's awful. So it should be noted that Israel is absolutely not abiding by the ceasefire in Gaza, and the ceasefire does not apply to the West Bank, and we're seeing horrific violence in the West Bank. Also, um. Right now, the the uh, excuse me, the Palestinian uh, uh, hostages that are being released by Israel are being welcomed by families and journalists. And Israel has made it a policy now that uh, Palestinian joy should be made illegal. So any celebrations or any welcoming parties, um, Israel is trying to stop them with tear gas canisters and rubber bullets. And they've already harmed lots of people, including two journalists. And yeah. We'll see if there's any deaths, but there's already many deaths in the West Bank oh, because of all the they're violence. All, they're already shooting people who show up to 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 greet prisoners who are being released. Yeah, they don't want any Palestinian joy, which shows you the immense, just obviously fascism that is Israel. Uh, we our guest is here, so I do have to finish very quickly. But uh, I want to say there are massive protests that are happening against uh, what Israel's doing, including one at we at, at as we speak at the moment in Manhattan. Um, uh, protesters are occupying Manhattan Bridge. So hell yeah, keep it up. Um, lots of high profile uh, firings are occurring right now because people are standing up for Palestinians. So solidarity with those people, including Susan Sarandon and Melissa Barrera. Um, and also solidarity with the uh, Arab resistance elsewhere. So we're seeing Arab resistance now joining in from Yemen, from Lebanon and from Iraq. So hell Yeah. And um, that's all I have is a very, very quick rundown of the past two weeks of immense violence happening out of uh, Palestine. Anyways, Sophie. Yes. Would you like to tell me about Javier Milieu? Am I saying uh, that right? Malay, I think is Malay. I don't care that much. Dude's a dickhead. Um, <laughs> so we've had two, uh, two, two big far right um, uh, election wins. Uh, sadly, this week, I don't know why I'm doing all the bad news this week. I'm going to still try and spin it uh, in, into focusing on some of the positives if I can. Uh, but the news here that we're talking about is that Javier Malay, uh, an absolutely uh, cuckoo bananas libertarian, has just won uh, uh, the the Argentine elections. Um, the uh, a lot of the mainstream liberal media is covering this uh, with stuff like his his proposals are wild, but will they stand up to reality? He's got a big challenge ahead of him. Uh, this guy wants to legalize um, organ markets. Um, he is like notorious in Argentine media for wanting to fuck his sister. Um, I've seen people describing him as uh, what if Wolverine's X Men mutation was pedophilia. Um, he's an awful <laughs> dude, and. Um, and you so extremely don't have to hand it to him. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's far right. He's a climate denier. He's cool with gay and trans people because he's a libertarian, but cool in that way where he's like, um, it's none of my business and I won't tell him not to, but it is disgusting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's a he's a wild dude. Um, I know we're trying to be time conscious. I will try, I, I will try and be concise. Um, Argentina is... Um, I thought Britain was the the most politically and economically fucked country uh, that I was aware of. And then I started looking into Argentina a little bit more. Uh, and this may be worth a, a, the focus of a later, like maybe even full Red Planet episode. But yeah. Argentina is a crazy mess um, because of uh, 
a very complicated history. Um, they currently have uh, like six different currencies because they have the Argentine peso, but then they started to introduce um, parallel currencies to basically dodge around the wild inflation and deflation of the of the peso to make sure that certain industries could be paid at a stable rate, which is why they introduced at first the soya dollar, so that soya farmers could be paid at the stable rate with, with, with their own currency. And then they started just doing this again and again until they're in this position where they got like the soya dollar, the, oh my God, is it called the Oasis dollar? Yeah, they got a thing that's called the Oasis dollar. That's to pay people, that's to be able to pay international uh, like performers who come and like do big concerts there and it's called the oasis dollar for the reason you think um they've also got like the qatar dollar i think is it's, it's called which is like to do with football right they just keep on it like previous governments have just kept on doing this policy this absolutely bizarre policy of like introducing new parallel currencies and having internal exchange rates um which like leads to the the the, the, the point you can see now where um it's very easy for a far right uh uh <laughs> yeah for a far right libertarian to come in and say, I'm going to make everything easy and simple by just dollarizing um, and just making everything basically as compatible with U the US and, and US financial imperialism as possible. Um, and so um, that's part of where I want to try and spin this a little bit and say, it is easy for, in terms of ra radicalized sides, it is way easier for the far right to win an election than the far left, right? So um that's Javier Malay in, in Argentina. We've also got Geert Wilders in the Netherlands has just won. Also a climate denier, far-right piece of shit. Um, Geert Wilders is so bigoted. He has been escorted everywhere by armed police since 2004. Uh, he's been charged... Uh, sorry, he's been accused and tried and found, uh, but not found guilty multiple times of uh, violent, bigoted incitement. Um, this guy is awful, and it's it's terrible news for Argentina and for Netherlands that these two far-right politicians have just won elections there. Um, but what I want to say about it is just that, like, we are living through radicalizing times, and um, the state is very happy to put uh, a strong man in charge to try to, like, uh, crack down on the population and crush them under fascism. Uh, but it's the state will, will never be happy to uh, simply hand over, you know, uh hand over an election to to socialism and and the people controlling the means of production so um i want to you know i want to i guess just emphasize the idea let this radicalize you not lead you to despair that there that there you can bet your bottom soya dollar that there are strong you know leftist movements there or forming or or soon to come uh, wherever you see a huge far right election win um even though the situation does suck right now um but you know i'm aware you know I, I can speak to i can't speak to argentina as much i would love to i i'm i'm intending to research this more i can speak a little bit to the netherlands i'm aware of some of the socialists there and they're some of the most based people i know so um yeah solidarity to uh to to the people in argentina and the, ne the netherlands uh comrades of the show mule yeah, just very briefly, because I know we have our guest waiting, uh, GMTU and SHAC, which stands for Social Housing Action Campaign and some other organizations, uh, descended upon the Affordable Housing Awards uh, in Manchester at the Lancashire County Cricket Club. 
uh, not this Friday just gone, but the one before. Um, basically, the Affordable Housing Awards is a joke of a uh, award show where basically social housing providers uh, nominate themselves for awards, then give themselves awards, despite the fact that when we were there, Greater Manchester Tenants Union uh, were directly in the knowledge that at least three of our members had children in hospital due to the damp and mold that is in their houses that their tenants are suffering from. The, uh, each table at this event cost £4,000. Um, and so uh, a coalition of Shack, GMTU, uh, Housing Rebellion, and some other organizations and affinity activists uh, basically banded together, pushed through the ticket office uh established ourselves in the event well we couldn't we couldn't get quite in the event but we were very like at the at the very front door uh making as much noise as possible uh doing a bunch of chants talking about stories um of of of, you know people that we've helped in social housing that we're still helping um you know people who've not had central heating for almost a decade uh experiencing racism misogyny uh queer phobia everything you name it and so uh, it was a very, very successful day. We spoke to a lot of the press. Uh, the BBC was there. Uh, the Guardian was there. The uh, Who else was there? There was a guy from Neff who's one of GMTU's funders who is like making a thing about making a video about mold. And it's called Mold is Political uh, about like the state of black mold and housing and, and how it kills people and stuff. So it was an extremely, extremely good uh, 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 protest. Um, and it got a lot of people interested in the union and stuff. So very, very cool. Um, and yeah. Just before we bring on our guest, just a reminder, Red Planet is funded entirely by our viewers. Uh, Please go to patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet and consider becoming a patron. We will give you more details on each tier and the uh, 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 various benefits that you could get with that at the end of the show. Uh, But yes, please consider helping us out. And who is going to introduce our guest? I, uh, I'll do busy. it. Why not? Are you going to do it? I'm okay, cool. I'm going to go ahead and just say that Jess is one of the only journalists in the UK I'm aware of who's doing any journalism. Uh, we're all, <laughs> we all know that British media is deeply fucked. Uh, if you don't know that, it is. It's really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is genuinely hard. I get this question sometimes when I'm talking about the media in the UK. Uh, people ask me, but... Is there anyone you could point to who is actually doing journalism? Um, And, uh, you know, I I tend to go, this one's kind of leftist, this one's all right, but they still got their problems, you know, with the establishment, and they're still with the... And then I'm like, wait, let me tell you, there's Jesso Thompson they they're doing doing the real the real the real cheese the journalism uh and they're here to tell us about uh uh the 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 horrific tory plan to uh ship uh well fly uh immigrants to uh, a camp in rwanda and what has happened with that plan and the supreme court uh jess it's wonderful to have you here uh how are you doing hi yeah it's uh really lovely to be on the show again um nice to see you all um very grateful for your compliments my journalism i enjoy being a sort of fake journalist fake legal researcher and all the various things that i uh i can be um in order to you know further leftist infiltration etc yeah. <laughs> um yeah no um this 
yeah the rwanda stuff is is absolutely vile yeah um the uk is an absolutely broken country um yeah i, I mean if to, to follow on from kind of what how i introduced you like um even this most well maybe okay let's just back up and uh, say do you want to describe what the rwanda plan is and what was proposed by the government yeah so um it's important to understand some stuff about the uk political context to sort of get why this was proposed um it was a supposed solution to the small boats crisis which is something that has dominated the uk political discourse for the last couple of years um basically there are lots of migrants who are crossing the channel in boats to try and reach the uk a lot of them are, are asylum seekers they're refugees um and the reason why so many people are crossing in boats is because there is an absolute absence of any safe and legal routes into the UK um, for asylum seekers. Like there's just basically nothing for the vast majority of refugees. Um, and under the national- is, I believe there's a there's like a quota which is very small and, and quickly yeah. filled and, and permanently and- filled. They, yeah, they apply to very limited, very specific groups, um, not the vast majority of, of refugees. You can only claim asylum in the UK under the Nationality and Borders Act uh, 2022 if you are physically present within the UK. So if you are within its borders, that is the only time you can claim asylum here. And so obviously refugees are motivated to get here so that they can claim asylum. Um to come to the UK legally, I will add that under like pretty much all international law, refugees are allowed to get to you however however they want. That is legal. But under domestic law, you need sure. a visa, right? right? And the rules prohibit the granting of visas to anyone who might be an asylum seeker. And if you find out someone's an asylum seeker and you've already given them a visa, you're obligated to revoke it. So... Yeah, that, that's why people are coming in boats. But obviously, the Conservative government aren't going to say that. The Conservative government aren't going to go, oh, what we actually need to do is, is create legitimate actual methods for people to claim asylum in the UK from different countries without having to cross here, risking their lives, many dying, making the journey. No, it's to um, instead to to have this thing called the the Rwanda plan which announced in April 2022 proposes that what we do as a country and this is this is so unbelievable that i actually sometimes like struggle to 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 go yeah this everyone thought this was a great idea in government it's what we're going to do is we're going to give rwanda 140 million pounds to take a couple hundred people at most Right. And what we're going to do is they're going to take a small number of asylum seekers who come to this country for processing. If successful, applicants get to remain in Rwanda. Congratulations. If you fail, you get to be deported from Rwanda to your country of origin. That's it. That's that's the thing. And and. The worst thing about it is that the vast majority of people in the UK do not know that that is what the Rwanda plan is. 
they think that it's a sort of offshore processing system where what happens is you go to Rwanda, you live there for a bit while they sort out and process your claim. And if you are a legitimate refugee and you, you get the big thumbs up, you come here to live in the UK. Under no circumstances does anyone who goes to, goes to Rwanda get to come back to the UK. Yeah, That's yeah. not what's being yeah. proposed. Speaking of the public knowledge, I think this is like um, a good point to get at what I was going to ask, which was like, um, how you feel like the mainstream coverage within British media has been of this, because you're saying like most people don't even know that this is the thing. And I think one thing we can say very clearly about the the, the liberal media coverage of this is that there hasn't really been a thorough exploration of what the plan is. While there has been plenty, I think, of, um, of kind of uh, gesturing to the idea that some people think this is a, a completely inhuman and vile plan, they don't explain why uh, in detail anywhere. Um, so, what, yeah, would you, could you say more about the kind of what the media has been doing here? There are senior Tories who don't know what this plan involves. That doesn't surprise me at all. Owen Jones was at the Tory party conference um, this summer, autumn, and he did some Vox Pops and he um, bumped into Eric Pickles, former MP, former minister, now House of Lords Lord. I think in I think in in terms of uh, names of politicians, uh, Eric Pickles might be our Wolf Blitzer, like s- specifically in the British way that like Wolf Blitzer is in the American way. Just like what a ridiculous guy. Eric Pickles, by the way, famous for spending somehow tens of thousands of pounds of public expenses on a biscuit budget for his yeah. position. Yeah. Um, a normal man. <laughs> yeah. So Eric Pickles was box bogged and he. Someone who voted on this legislation, I think I need to emphasize this, someone who voted in favor of this legislation didn't know what the plan was. He thought that people would get to come back to the UK. So, like, it's it's not just me. It's literally the entire establishment has, has conspired to pretend that this plan is something completely different to what it actually is. It's, it's it's wild. Like, it's genuinely ridiculous. There was a recent poll, like, after the case and everything, and it, it's two-thirds of the public think that successful claimants get to come and stay in the UK. Two-thirds. So when we're talking about the public debate around this, when we're talking about how people feel or whatever, we're working with a public that don't actually know what the plan is. Not to say that it would be legitimate, even if it was just offshore processing, but that's, like, a completely different prospect to what the plan actually is which is is sending people who are are already vulnerable by nature of being refugees to go permanently live in a country which as we'll get to is completely terrifyingly inappropriate for to to be housing refugees so uh jess who is being targeted here is it everyone trying to seek asylum or is it certain populations they've said they won't take families they've said um rwanda have said they won't take families they've said they won't take certain categories i think it's mainly we're talking about um single asylum seekers who um and i think that the point to to clarify is as i said um it's only a couple hundred people that would be going at most um the general aim is is is, is as deterrence the idea being that Fewer people will travel to the UK if they're afraid they will be one of the people that gets sent there. And um, the government, after this case, um, I think 
was bragging during it was either PMQ's or James Cleverly's statement. I can't remember. I apologize. Um, was was bragging about the fact that this is already deterring people that, that the numbers of small boats have gone down. Was that PMQ's? Really sorry to cut you off again, but I I, I need to take a moment to tell Kira about uh, how silly our politics are. Uh, James Cleverly is the new Home Secretary after the last one was uh, forced to resign because she was trying to incite fascists to uh, uh, do racist violence against Palestinian protesters. Um, and uh, James Cleverly is also a uh, Warhammer 40k YouTuber. Um, that's the end of my note. And as, as we'll see, James Cleverly has been one of the people who's actually subtly actually trying to oppose this plan. Um, he was previously Foreign Secretary and therefore maybe has a better understanding of the importance of some of these things like human rights to, at the very least, our foreign international Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, m- m- most <laughs> compassionate Tory politician. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, in an entirely cynical way, but yeah, he he understands that this, this might actually not be in Britain's interests. Well, are we talking about the 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 forty k gamer guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he yeah. does understand yeah. oppression. He is a gamer. <laughs> He's a yeah. gamer. That's true. That's true. He's the most oppressed by. Oh, you got to hand it to him there. Mule, you were you were away for a second. I just want to ask you, as a fellow Brit, like, how do you feel about the like the media coverage with regard to the Rwanda plan? Because it's something we're kind of uh you know you you will also have been exposed to it like i feel i feel like there has been a fair amount of like like i said earlier the idea that people find it gross but just no exploration of why uh and really not sharing the details of the plan yeah yeah i mean that's it's by design obviously like you could tell um they don't want people to know just how deeply inhumane it is like one thing that i have noticed more and more and this is a thing that happens recently it's a thing that's happened as a result of palestine solidarity protest etc etc when people are exposed to just how bad material conditions can get in a certain uh you know part of the world or you know uh, someone's someone's being threatened with those kind of material conditions whether that be like you know violence removing you from your home or deporting you etc like um people tend to not be okay with that just like in general and you know, the the way that it's posited in the news, the way that it's presented seems to be like, you know, it's it's they're take they're taking a lot of stuff out of uh the Imperial Corps handbooks of like how to refer to brown people, right? You know, oh well we'll only be d- deporting terrorists. Oh, we'll only be deporting, you know, scary people who are gonna make people feel uncomfortable and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like, you know, it's obviously not that. It's obviously like you know, they, well, it is that a lot. A lot of it is the, the genuine racism that exists in imperial core countries, governments, but also a lot of it is like, you know, they're just going to try and deport who they can. And it doesn't matter, like, as long as they've done it. Like, I think that's what you were saying, Jess, right? Like, they're just going to find people that they can legally get away with it for and use them as an example. Well, I think this will probably unfold more as we discuss it more, right? But I think that it's really worth us saying that, like, um, the nature of imperialism needs immigration and needs to bring in vulnerable populations to exploit um a ton of our a ton of our like lowest paying and shittiest work is done by migrants obviously and um you know for a lot of those people like um they are well so okay i'm trying not to go on a huge long tangent here but like um travelers across europe right um have a complicated group identity because um, there very much is like an ethnic lineage of, of traveler groups. Um, but also uh, a lot of the create, like the, the, there was a lot of like 
creation of those ethnic groups uh, because historically uh, imperialist states needed people to do the shittiest, lowest paid labor. And then those people would live in caravans and travel together to where the work was and and this stuff. And then, and, and, and those people would have families and then they would be together and, and, you know, sort of form this group. And then others who were in traveling uh, professions, like a good example in the UK is drovers, people who would like uh, herd cattle and sheep long distances would like, you know, join in with these communities over time. Um, uh, and, and like with all the stigmatization of, of travelers as, uh, as an ethnic group now, um, uh, this, like th- th- this kind of past as like, this hyper exploitable group is obscured. And then meanwhile, this migrant labor, like the people who pick our fruits and vegetables in the UK, uh, a lot of them are living in caravans. They're like, because they've been put there like by, by their employers and they've had their passports taken away and they're living in absolutely horrifying conditions. Um, and so you can see like these sort of historic forces that like uh, problematize and also racialize um, these groups um, being used again and again, like in the modern context and doing the same exact things. Um, but yeah, it's important to say that like, that like for all the media pushback against migration and migrants, um, it's something that the state needs. And so like having absolutely horrible plans for how to like deal with the wrong kind of migrants um, isn't a plan to eliminate all migration because any plan to eliminate all migration would actually ruin the state. And they know that, but yeah, sorry, I feel like I, I do derail a little bit, but I, I, I do want to keep a focus on that as we go forward. Um, Jess, where were we? Yeah, I think um, probably now it's um, you sort of move on to talking about how the plan is being stopped. Right. Um, so not a single person has been sent to Rwanda from the UK. Um, lawyers and activists have both worked tirelessly to stop this plan from actually happening for obvious reasons of how horrific it is. So in in June last year, um, there was a direct action by a group called Stop Deportation, right, outside a detention centre, and it managed to delay um, loads of coaches that were going to transport asylum seekers to the deportation flight. Now, in this exact time period, right, the European Court of Human Rights managed to grant an urgent interim measure, which ultimately stopped the flight. So it's literally this direct action, this delay, was what gave the international courts enough time to stop this. And I think, you know, I think it's really important as we talk about this, I'll be talking a lot about the legal stuff because I'm a legal researcher and it's complicated and there's a lot to discuss um but it's it's really important that to to know that human rights lawyers and whatever can only do this stuff because of people taking direct action on the ground yeah direct action gets the goods and in this case the goods is more time for the process to go through I, it's funny you mentioned that, Jess, because literally I've just come out of a uh, member solidarity meeting with uh, Great Manchester Tenants Union where we were talking about how we did an eviction resistance for someone. And even though the eviction resistance wasn't necessarily enough to prevent them from being evicted again, it did mean that actually um, the time that we bought that family was able to help the legal process in them sort of like getting rehoused. So it's, it's, I guess like a fantastic example, like it's always the case, like, you know, cause you'll hear 
reactionaries they'll say like oh what's the point or even liberal people who are just too comfortable they'll say things like oh what's the point in doing activism because you'll never actually get anything done it's it all has to be ratified in the law and it's only a matter of time until the police get you well actually conversely it's only a matter of time until something good is done or something comes along that helps us or our solidarity works in a way that actually results in you know some kind of liberation for a particular uh, cause and stuff. So I think that's a really pertinent thing to mention to our yeah. viewers. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so important. In a kind of similar way to what I was just saying, um I know we're, we're now just like playing keep away with the with 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 talking from Jess. But like um sorry Jess. Um in a similar way to this thing about like that these immigration policies are not there to try to completely eliminate immigration like the the police powers that we've talked about a lot right um uh can be used by the police against protesters but um they are at police discretion and th- this you know this is somewhere where i think we've seen like some amount of like um you never have to hand it to the cops um but like some amount of the you know them not using those powers that they do have access to where like where there have been some stop deportations protesters who've used like lock boxes and, and and locking on stuff which is part of the stuff that's been most directly criminalized by the pcsc bill um and and given like the the the, the biggest like um potential ability to like give someone like 10 years in prison or whatever and uh and those charges haven't been sought in 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 at least some of the cases i i know a lot of it comes down also to juries hearing like rather than like the evidence of the case hearing the protesters say like look this is what we're protesting and the jury is saying yeah we agree with you so you're not you're not guilty um but yeah let's look, let's talk about more about the legal process uh jess you're talking about the european court yeah so um the the european court um passed an interim order that's basically where the court thinks that this could violate human rights it won't decide it um but it's basically saying look no no there, there needs to be we need to stop until the courts have properly had time to analyze this domestically um and so yeah the the problem was is that the initial court case for this happened before any attempted flight um and it was the divisional which is like the lowest court um and they initially rejected the challenge the legal challenge to the scheme they were incredibly deferential to the government they um basically took the approach that it was for the court to sort of review the home office's own decision and see whether it was sort of reasonable to reach that decision um rather than making the decision for itself and actually considering for itself um the important human rights implications um but this decision this decision was appealed um and the majority of the, it was in between this time that the 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 flight was attempted um but it was appealed to the, the court of appeal and a majority of the court of appeal ruled that the scheme was unlawful right so they said no there was a real risk that asylum claims would not be properly determined by the rwandan authorities and that in consequence there were real risks of refoulement uh which i will explain dear listener uh in in time we will get into all of it's, the fun uh, i think it's a it's a kind of stew with diced vegetables in it <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it's delicious. I recommend it to all listeners to go and try and make themselves a bowl of refoulement. Um, But yeah, no, there was a real risk of it basically is the French for return. Um, and it means being returned to um, basically a country in which you're likely to, to face persecution. Usually we're talking about the country you're fleeing from if you're a refugee. Um, but the government appealed this decision to the Supreme Court last wednesday 
Supreme Court handed down their judgment. They basically said, yeah, no, not a chance. Absolutely no chance. Um, Because they relied on a wide variety, albeit a wide variety, of international law, the European Convention of Human Rights, and domestic law. All of this, it went, looking at all of this, all of these things have the same principle within them, which is a, a prohibition on refoulement, which is no contracting party uh, or state shall expel or return refoulé, a refugee in any manner whatsoever to the frontiers of territories where his life or freedom would be threatened on account of his race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. That is Article 33.1 of the Refugee Convention. And this principle of non-refoulement, which is in all of these different things they held, um, would, would be would be violated by the sending of, of refugees. So, so my question is, uh, is the is the refoulement here uh, the possibility that a Rwandan refugee could be uh, coming to the UK and then being sent to Rwanda? That would be the refoulement or this is... It's so much worse than that. Please go um, on. It's basically, um, yeah. So they found that Rwanda has in the past, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll outline this in some detail, uh, has in the past sent refugees that came to them for refuge um, back to their own, back to their, to, to their countries of origin where they risk persecution um, or have sent them to other countries where they themselves um, face risk of reform from there. So the idea is, is this prohibition is not just on the direct return of refugees to the country where they face persecution, but basically indirect return via a third country as well. So you can't, you're not just forbidden of sen- from sending someone to a country where they face risk of persecution. You are forbidden from sending them to a country where they may be sent to that country. So, yeah, um, it's prohibited by the Refugee Convention, the United Nations Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Punishment or Treatment, uh, the UN International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, European Convention on Human Rights, which has specific and special influence in the UK. It's brought into domestic law by something called the Human Rights Act here, which is not true of most of our international law. We have a weird system. Um, there are basically two different types of system for 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 people to to know for international law. You can have a something called a monist or a dualist system, which is where either if your country signs an international treaty it automatically becomes law in your country. So you can go to your domestic court and say that some treatment of you is violating this international legal agreement and the court can apply it. So that's a monist system. I think that's most states. Um, The United Kingdom is weird, as we'll get onto in a bit, um, and has something called a dualist system, which basically means the government is bound by its international obligations. But none of that actually transfers into the domestic law. You can't use it to protect yourself unless it's brought into force by statute, by legislation. So only international law, which is brought into domestic law, you is actually useful to you in a UK court. Of course, you can challenge things in different international courts and bodies. Um, really interestingly, um, the Supreme Court also indicated 
that um, the principle of, of, of non-reformal is part of customary international law. Now, this is so interesting because um, the whole reaction, as we'll see, is basically we should rip up all of our international treaties. And then we don't have to worry about non-reformal because we're not signatories to anything that would bind us into doing it. Um, but customary international law binds all states, regardless of what treaties they have signatories to. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. So, yeah. The, the Tory government here has the energy of someone who's like never heard of receiving stolen goods or like never heard of fencing. Like they, they're like, well, we didn't steal this thing. So us selling it, it's probably fine. Like if we, we're not going to get any trouble for this. Um, but with, with their logic that like they can just send people somewhere else where they can then be sent uh, back to their country of origin. It's it's a it's a joke. Right, and, really and, and also the 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 thing to remember about this, they've just like riled up their base, and they have to somehow like satiate mm -hmm. that anger in order to stay in power. Um, and the thing is, is that like many of the people in the Conservative Party aren't like that fussed about getting this properly done which is like being proven here in what you're saying jess because like they're just making so many mistakes if they actually genuinely cared about putting the resources into like do it properly they would be like oh there are so many pitfalls here we can't actually do this it it's all about actually just looting the country at this point like the tories are doing disaster capitalism they're basically desperately trying to like privatize the nhs all this kind of stuff um and you know so their interests are in capital and then secondary to that is like trying to appease some kind of uh you know monster that they've created essentially you know i think you're right i think honestly like it's the rhetorical level to which they've committed to this this project which is so damaging to them because they have piled so much onto it completely unnecessarily i might add like even from like a cynical if i was a conservative party advisor perspective right like what would i suggest i think a lot of senior tories are very concerned about the level of commitment to this as the solution that has occurred because they've committed to something that's impossible yeah um or at least at least impossible without going pretty much going to the level of, as we'll discuss, like Suala Braveman and people have, have suggested, which is basically committing to like the Public Safety Act level of, you know, sort of riffing up the rule of law here. And I, I think, yeah, it doesn't, I don't think, I don't think it works. It's kind of it's kind of similar to like I mean you know uh, you you you're speaking about like a, a rhetorical level of commitment and this is like the Tories are just so good at that right they don't they don't have any like actual commitment um, to any of their policies you know Section Twenty One uh, again like I'm a housing activist like Michael Go that the Tories were actually elected in 2019 on the promise they were going to abolish uh, Section Twenty Ones which would be a, a huge boon uh, for fighting homelessness it would actually like probably like solve a lot of homelessness issues uh but that's just not been done because again like you know they're not interested in that they're looking at like the the white paper of this in parliament they've been looking at it for ages and obviously all these mps who are landlords are going oh i don't like that uh <laughs> this this is a bad clause let's, let's change that um and like while it's not on the same uh technical level of this it it, it well it is on this i guess it is different because like you know abolishing section 21 would probably be easier um to do 
um it's just the opposite because it would actually not benefit them it would benefit the tories to deport people to rwanda whenever uh they just can't do it but it's it's kind of like same same but different in in that regard but yeah it's this you know again rhetorical commitment i think that's key to mention here but yeah i think i think trans people in particular are aware of this uh, tendency of, of the tory party right um you know the the constantly anticipated and leaked schools guidance which is going to ban social transition in school but is yet to materialize all of the um the gesturing that they're going to um change the equality act um to define sex as biological sex all of this stuff has been being talked about for ages and it we, we you know it will end up on the front page of a newspaper every other week um just to make our lives continually bloody miserable because it becomes the discourse yet again I, I mean this is where you can see also like the complete mirroring of all profit-driven media because like you have the times and the telegraph publishing this kind of stuff and then you have pink news equally doing it mm-hmm. and like a lot of trans people uh will very rightfully say that pink news just like uses trans terror for clicks and for profit uh because they're doing the same like they, there is no difference uh, just because like your people have different political beliefs who work there, there is not a difference between the one case and the other case of just putting a fucking terrifying headline about about how scary the next thing the government's right about to do is, and then saying nothing about whether it's realistic, whether it's actually going to happen, uh, pointing out that it's been being talked about for years just as a constant scare tactic to appease their base. Yeah, I as 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 you you know, I have gotten into multiple public fights with um pro-trans organizations and yeah. publications this fight's actually just just as notorious for knocking out ping news uh editors <laughs> um, um i think they've been quoted once as saying watch your back uh, i don't know if i'm thinking of the right person here but um <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna get my nuj membership taken away so... <laughs> i should clarify that none of that is true um should we let's this is conjecture. This is a libel. Uh... I'm speculating. Um, yeah. so, um... Anyway, but like the, I've spent a lot of my journalistic career attempting to take a lot of like stuff that's like overblown bo- by both like gender criticals who want to be like all that we want, and also you know as you say certain trans publications, uh, allegedly pro-trans publications who are like oh yeah no this is terrible all oh, come and click and read how about how terrible it is i have spent the vast majority of my time reporting and being like no this is exactly what the case means yeah there's some bad bits in it but actually it's nowhere near as bad as it's being said and that work is like the most important thing i do because one of the biggest risks to trans people in this country is is just the constant terror and yeah absolutely the, 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 it destroys us i should actually say this on a really personal note like um jess your reporting specifically has been useful like been really helpful to me in this way like i have uh, at various points talked about like at what point do people need to be so like worried that they need to like get the fuck out of the uk and like when I was first doing that, I was saying, like, if they are seriously talking about, say, a bathroom bill in Parliament, then, then like, I, I need to get the fuck out of here before that's passed, because, you know, it being passed even could be, like, imminent, horrible danger. Um, and, like, you know, understanding through your reporting that, like, this is this is the way that it goes and that it's not... Um, 
being able to tell the difference between them just like repeatedly like l- accidentally leaking that they have, pl- have these plans and the and and the possibility of something actually going through um yeah it's just like such a it's so it's hard to express even it's a it's a world of relief like it's 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 really important yeah no i think it's important that people are informed of like risks and the actual risks that are and the threats we do face and where they're coming from but at the same time it's also important that they understand that those risks are like limited well it's like being plugged into anti-fascist networks if you're if you're aware there are fash around in your city in your neighborhood wherever then you could just like go everywhere looking over your shoulder all the time if you if you know people and work with people who are who are keeping an eye closely on what the fash are doing then you feel a lot safer because you know where they are and you know where they aren't exactly we we need to know that the, the bad stuff is happening but also the stuff's being done to stop it that it's not happening at the same rate that people want you to think it is or in the way that people want you to think it is because they profit from that or because politically it's useful to have the belief that uh, the conservative party or whoever is is being tough on on trans people um more so than it is useful for them to pass any legislation like if they they win if if they can get voters who think that that's what they're doing regardless of whether they actually do it um, and I think, you know, fundamentally, that's the idea with with Rwanda. The problem is, is that now they actually have to do it and uh, they can't. Um, so, yeah, as, as I already sort of noted, um, there's multiple sources of domestic law that prohibit this non-reformant stuff as well. Um, it's like the Refugee Convention is given effect in the Asylum and Immigration Appeals Act 1993. The immigration rules that were actually applied in this instance themselves state that a country is only a safe third country if the principle of non-reformment will be respected that in that country in accordance with the Refugee Convention. So it's not just international treaties we'd have to rip up. Um, it's our own domestic law. There is There are multiple acts of parliament which specifically give effect to the principle of non-reformment multiple times in domestic law. But as the Supreme Court states, um, the principle of non-reformment is a core principle of international law to which the United Kingdom government has repeatedly committed itself on the international stage, consistently with this country's reputation for developing and upholding the rule of law. So yeah, no, our, our um, and I'll come back to this later. Um, the UK has a lot of soft power internationally in in a way that is absolutely not consistent with any of the material reality of this country. Um, and international law is a tool of maintaining that soft power. So um, for the UK to try and suddenly tear it up is actually um, negatively impactful, not just to to like humans um, and, you know, the uh, human rights, um, it's negatively impactful to the UK's own soft power yeah. and its own self-interest. Yeah, which, the, which the Tories care infinitely more about. Um, I think it's really important to say this about domestic law as well. Um, For those who aren't aware of, well, I was going to say for those outside of the UK, but it's really like a lot of people in the UK as well don't really know this, but like international law and UK law, like um, the the UK compared to countries, uh, you know, in the EU um, uh, and like many other countries, like does not have the, is not as influenced by international law by design and a lot of the 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 spirit of brexit was there long before brexit itself um a friend of mine once said that uh, who was it lord hailsham described us as an elective dictatorship because the way in which like 
yeah exactly the way in which like we have um you know some well not always elected representatives but you know people a set of people who decide the law and then that is so incredibly ironclad um yeah 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 i will be talking about the uk constitution shortly um to contextualize some of the responses to this decision and i will i was going to quote lord Hailsham, but yeah uh it yeah it, it's 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 very very applicable to to this um to understand so yeah the supreme court held that the court was obligated in law to make its own assessment as to whether there was a real risk of reform in sending people to rwanda so it utilized a lot of evidence from the unhdr which is the um sort of refugee agency of the un um who were absolutely damning in their evidence about the extent to which this is a genuine, genuine risk, like quite scary. Um, some, some, some fun, fun tidbits um, of, of things said before the court. Um, Rwanda is a state in which very recently... I can recent already feel that these are going to be fun. <laughs> in very recent times, has instigated political killings and has led British police to warn Rwandan nationals living in Britain of credible plans to kill them on the part of that state. This is why we were going to send refugees, some of the most vulnerable people. Yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? Really in clever. Ju- it's, it's just excellent. It's a great plan. Yeah. Um, in January 2021, the United Kingdom government itself. So, so this is just over a year, just over a year before only only just over a year before the government announced its Rwanda plan. The government, um, United Kingdom government itself criticised Rwanda for extrajudicial killings, deaths in custody, and forced disappearances and torture. Advice provided by officials to ministers later in 2021, during the process of selecting a partner country for the removal of asylum seekers, advised that Rwanda had a very poor human rights record. Most human rights violations were said to be linked to the criticism of the Rwandan government. There were also said to be constraints on media freedom and political activities. Refugees had not generally been ill-treated, but there had been exceptions when they had expressed criticism of the Rwandan government. The most serious incident occurred in 2018 when the Rwandan police fired live ammunition at refugees protesting over cuts to food rations, killing at least 12 people. This is all out. this is all in the Supreme Court judgment. This is this is where they were going to send people. Like I need to emphasize this over and over again. I'm not saying the United Kingdom treats refugees well. Right? I'm not saying the United Kingdom is a a, a model to the world of of political independence and media freedom and all of these things. Um but it's not that. Like and we have obligations to protect people who come to this country incredibly vulnerable looking for help and those obligations would have been violated by sending a single person to this country and it is absolutely shameful that anyone would suggest this as a as, a, as an actual solution absolutely i think it's also you know it um it's important to our discussion of how all this relates to imperialism and immigration and also relates to what you were just saying about like uh rhetorical uh dedication to really scary plans um that like the the way that the uk government repeatedly uses um laissez-faire to to punish right is it is a classic imperialist uh, mechanism like handing off the problem to somewhere else um uh, one of their dedications to something really scary was about rolling black rolling back protections against slavery for uh refugees and asylum seekers 
Um, and that's, you know, like, I mean, about this laissez-faire, like, attitude is, like, um, saying rather than we will do this extremely horrible thing, like, we will let this happen to you by some third party is a crucial thing that empires have always done throughout history, right? Because it's very important to imperialism for the core to be civilized, for it to be a model for how everything should work and for for uh, people to feel like there is a higher standard of safety there. But it's also really important frequently for them to be able to use terror and uh, and violation of human rights and, and absolutely inhumane conditions. And so how do they get around that? Well, the answer is always to have some kind of some kind of third party, some kind of other space to put people into to allow the worst things to happen to them. To um, further compound that, Sophie, that's like what Israel does to uh, supporters of Palestinian rights. They put them like close to Gaza or they put them close like into the West Bank, like in kibbutzes around there. Um, and they say like, well, you know, if you love Palestinians so much, go and live with them. And then the fucking IDF kill them. And you can also compare this to like the use of uh, deserts in genocide, right? How how many times how many times uh, forcing people into a desert has been part of a genocide because there's a knowledge that putting people in this situation will lead to their death, uh, but it's not it's not directly doing it, you know. Thank you, uh, Mule, for bringing up Israel because I was about to, and I'm always talking about Israel. So now I appreciate that I'm not. The person is always talking about Israel. I'm Thank doing you. that labor for you. I'm, I'm I appreciate it. Emotional labor. Thank that you. Labor. It's all good. Thank what you, a Mule. what a good token man. Eh? Is, <laughs> it really I'm is. So glad, I'm so glad we decided to let a man on the show. <laughs> I'm here to be your scapegoat. Uh, Jess, sorry, we derailed again. It's <laughs> no, it's it's a lot of this is stuff I I wanted to link in myself. So um, I'm very happy for you too. Um, yeah, so the Supreme Court highlighted the lack of independence of the Rwandan ju- judiciary. So asylum seekers lacked a meaningful right to even appeal their claims being denied. So it doesn't even function as that processing. Um, yeah, they wanted to send people who already suffer political persecution to the political persecution place. I, I don't think any more needs adding. Um, the other really concerning thing um, about Rwanda um was uh that they had a hundred percent the the un evidence showed a hundred percent rejection rates um during 2020 to 2022 for nationals of afghanistan syria and yemen from which asylum seekers obviously coming here are likely to like likely to to be from um a lot of the refugees to the uk especially are from afghanistan um so a hundred percent rejection rate, um, and the UN gave evidence that they believe that the refusal of such claims by Rwandan authorities was pr- from the view that um, people from the Middle East should remain in the Middle East and should claim asylum in their own region. So yeah, a lot of um, a lot of very racist, hostile, anti-Arab stuff also baked into this. Um, which, um, moving on to Israel, um, funnily enough, um, Israel had an agreement with Rwanda to do exactly the same thing we were looking to do. Yeah. And it was this that formed a lot of the evidence given in the Supreme Court for the risk of reform, because, yeah, basically... The Israel had a very, very similar agreement. They had a memorandum of understanding very similar to ours. 
um, in which, um, under which multiple instances of reform occurred, like de- demonstrably, Rwanda did the thing that that they're not allowed to do, which we're not allowed to send anyone to a country where they do it. Um, and this was under an almost identical agreement. So yeah, the, so you, <laughs> the Supreme Court concluded that there was a culture within Rwanda of, at best, inadequate understanding of Rwanda's obligations under the Refugee Convention. The evidence also goes some way to support the suggestion of a dismissive attitude towards asylum seekers from the Middle East and Afghanistan. It is also apparent from the evidence that significant changes need to be made to Rwanda's asylum procedures as they operate in practice before there can be confidence that it will deal with asylum seekers sent to it by the United Kingdom in accordance with the principle of non-reformal. The necessary changes may not be straightforward, so they require an appreciation that the current approach is inadequate, a change of attitudes, and effective training and monitoring. So this isn't some surface-level problem. This isn't some minor defect in our agreement. This is Rwanda is a completely inappropriate place to be sending refugees. Their judiciary is corrupt. Their government kill people who disagree with them. Um, they have been demonstrably shown in similar agreements to do the thing they're not meant to do. So, yeah, um, Supreme Court demolished the plan. It was, it was. I think a lot of the lawyers on on having listened to the judgment, you know, I was listening to it live. Um, their immediate reaction was, "Well, that's it then. There aren't plans. Dead." Right. Because okay. It's it's so decisive. Like the judgment is so decisive. The the you know it did it did rule that it it, it 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 in theory we could send um people to a third country that's lawful but that third country has to be somewhere that has similar standards to us uh it, that has to be firmly committed to non-reformment and unsurprisingly um no such country has been identified that would actually <laughs> yeah yeah you know, uh, take... I'm sorry. Sorry to back you up for a second, but what you're saying about Israel. Um, so, is the like Israel having this relationship to Rwanda? Is that ongoing? Is that a thing they were doing? Have they stopped? I think it's stopped now. I can't remember the exact details of it. All I know is that under it, um, all of the rules were broken. Right. Yeah. Well, I I just wanted to say this is. Um, I think that we could look at this. I, I'm trying to just bring things back to the global system of imperialism uh, throughout this, right? And I think that we could look at this as an example of what is called Foucault's boomerang, um, where um, technologies are developed like further out in imperial projects to oppress people who are the much more kind of naked imperialist, colonialist subjects. And then those same technologies get brought further and further into the imperial core as they're kind of successfully tested. We already know this phrase, battle, tas- battle tested on Palestinians, that is used for the uh, Israeli weapons industry uh, guns. And, you know, you see like IWI guns in uh, in the hands of Azerbaijan. Azerbaijani soldiers who are um, ethnically ethnically cleansing the Artsakh region, for example, right? But that's not that's not this kind of direction of travel towards the imperial core. Um, if you wanted to look at that, the the most obvious wealth of examples would be in just policing, like the the invention of the of the Metropolitan Police Force by Robert Peel um, was just based on colonial overseers in in India, uh, in China, like at the periphery of the British Empire. Just these same these same 
policies of policing were just brought into right into the core. Um, and, you know, you could look at it as a similar example with like Israel doing this and then Britain trying to pull off the same stunt. Um, yeah. And I yeah, think um, it's important to note that now this has inspired other countries who have, or at the very least, they're, they're right wing politicians in, in the imperial court who are, who are suggesting that they their country should try and do similar things. Um, yeah. We've done things that have been moves that have kind of copied Australia um, in terms of immigration policy, like same kind of thing, right? Yeah. So I, I think this is, yeah, this is um, very much, yeah, I, I think this is a technology now that is is being explored, being investigated. But the problem is, is of course, as the technology is completely incompatible with all the international human rights law norms that states purport yeah. to uphold. Absolutely. Um, and then it's, and that's exactly part of why there's a sort of process of testing in Foucault's boomerang is that there are more um, uh, stringent, uh, no, that's the wrong word. There, anyway, there are stricter standards in the imperial core on what the law should be, on how people should be treated. And so things need to be tested in, in frontiers where there are fewer rules. And then if they can pass the right checks, then they get to be a way that people are oppressed domestically. So, um, I think now we should turn to the response to the Supreme Court judgment, because honestly, I think that's where the really interesting stuff is, um, because honestly, it was on a level even I wasn't expecting. Even I was a bit <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So just to clarify for our audience, this is you've already been telling us about what the European court said. No, this was what the Supreme Court said. This is the UK Supreme The European court has not actually made any decision on oh, okay. the rwanda thing apart from to pass the interim okay um, sure this is the uk supreme court this is our highest court uh there is no appeal from here apart from um if if they'd have lost they could have appealed up to the stress to strasbourg but the uk government can't appeal to strasbourg um this is the uk supreme court um which plays a very constitutionally different role to other supreme courts which i will get to um i get i'm gonna have to talk about the uk constitution which is exciting for everybody great i didn't even know we had one <laughs> yeah well that's the problem um, <laughs> it enshrines all of our many british rights like the right to um uh, uh, uh jess do you want to tell us some more <laughs> i will in a bit i will in a bit i promise that there are some um that most people don't realize exist which is very useful for the people who don't want you to know um but yeah, no. So the initial government response was that we draft, and this was what James Cleverley initially said in 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 Parliament after the case. I think James Cleverley was the first to make a statement. Um, said that we're going to draft and sign a treaty with Rwanda. So the whole point um, is that the initial agreement with Rwanda is um, something called a memorandum of understanding, which is not in any way legally binding. There is, it's just a, it's a, it's a gentleman's agreement. Um, you know, but a treaty has the force of international law. It can be adjudicated in courts. People can uphold it. And the idea is we draft this treaty with Rwanda under which Rwanda would commit in this legally binding way to the principle of non-reformal. So this was this was the solution. This might make the court happy. Um, we don't have to worry about the principle of non-reformal being violated um, if, if, if it's in a binding legal treaty. Um, but the Supreme Court was incredibly explicit about the level of the problems. It wasn't, you know, oh, Rwanda doesn't just misunderstand its obligations. It said even if Rwanda is operating in good faith, 
the level of systemic problems in their judiciary and their government just make it unable to commit properly to any such obligation. We're, we're not we're not talking about a problem that can be fixed by a treaty. We're talking about a problem that needs to be fixed by decades, possibly, of a complete reform of the entire way the country operates. Well, I was thinking that as soon as you said what James cleverly said, it's like, well, he's not properly read it, has he? Because <laughs> yeah. even I know from what you've said, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not a fucking person in, in, in government in charge or whatever. And I, I know that like just trying to draft, uh, 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 what was it, a, a resolution or a, a treaty with yeah, Rwanda, treaty. it's not going to be like that simple, dude. Like, come on. Like, this is the gamer, by the way, everybody. This is the gamer um, who, who did this. So, yeah, no, no surprises there. Neil, don't. Don't downplay yourself. You could be the president of England. At <laughs> I believe in it. I believe in you. Okay? You know, I would sooner uh, not not let that happen. Anyway, I believe in you, Neil. Um, so yeah, no, it's obviously a joke response that wouldn't fix any of the problems. If they tried it, the Supreme Court would just go, "Please read our previous judgment, in which we clearly elucidated that this is an ad in an ad uh, uh, an inadequate." solution um but yeah so following that someone clearly realized this um and at a press conference last wednesday after the judgment the prime minister of this country rishi sunak said that the government will pass emergency legislation to declare rwanda safe and to prevent any legal challenges to the scheme yeah we 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 don't do that it's not like a thing uh, you can do, right? Like, there's yeah. no emergency. We're not wow. Donald Trump. Returning right? to my my like guy who doesn't know receiving stolen goods is a crime, right? <laughs> this is this is like at this point claiming to be a sovereign citizen. Like you are informed <laughs> by the cops. Actually, it is a problem if you take the thing that someone else stole, and you're just like, well, that's like your opinion, man. The problem is is that the way our constitution works is that. Uh... As, as, I, I will, as I will elaborate now. Parliament is allowed to legislate that 2 plus 2 equals 5. It is allowed to do that. Right. Which is wild. Um, uh-huh. But we're a wild country that is really weird. Elective dictatorship. Yeah, literally. And this is how it happens. Right. So we have um, something called an uncodified constitution. It, not unwritten. I will come after you. I'm a pedant. Because um, it is written down, just not in a single document. It's written in lots of different sources. Yes. Okay. I understand now. Right. Okay. So it's um, like, I'm sure you've all heard about the Magna Carta. <laughs> it's not the Magna Carta, by no, the way. No, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's Magna Carta, and lawyers will get angry at you if you say the <laughs> Magna Carta. Um, Magna Carta is, for example, one important bit of legislation that happens to make up our constitution and blah 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 but anyway um there are only a handful of states in the world which have this kind of constitution uh amongst our uh, compatriots are israel um saudi arabia um and the state of new zealand in uh altera yeah, that's I think about it. I think um, most of ca- kind of kind of Canada, although some there's a bit of debate about that because it has a, a constitutional document. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's pretty rare. It's because it's bad. Uh, because it it means that the legislature here, which is Parliament, which is made up of the House of Commons, which is our elected representatives for American viewers think Congress, um, and the House of Lords, which is... <laughs> Um, if you were born a senator and you uh, and sometimes you could maybe pay to be a senator. Yeah, so you can either be a hereditary lord, of which we still have a few. Uh, you can be a lord spiritual. We don't have a separation of church and state. If you are a bishop in the Church of England, you get to be part of our legislature, very which cool. is very, very cool normal. and normal. Yeah. And um, or if you are appointed as a, a lord for life, either because you have done something good, you know, like lots of charity work or you're an expert in your field or because you've given someone enough money, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you've given, you know, um, we had a we had a cash for honours scandal in this country, people literally getting to pay to be members of Congress. Like, I want people to understand how bad or, this is. Well, the Senate in our analogy, but yeah, yes. it's, it's, yeah. it's fucking atrocious. So bad. It's and, and not even in the way that, like, I think Americans understand that, like, if you're going to be senator, you're a rich guy because you have to have the money to run a campaign to do this and you know all the right people. Not, not in these kinds of ways. The kind of ways where you, you cut a check and you give it to Tony Blair and he says... Fab, you're a lord now. Yeah, that's, that's like they literally they made our old prime minister, who is not an MP, um, who has not been elected for the past few years, in into a lord the other day because they were that desperate to fill cabinet positions that they just made him one and put him in the cabinet. That's how our country. Like honestly, I need people to understand that Britain is like not a real country we're like a, a fake pretend scam if the ways that like all states are are just bullshit and made up is like the rules of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game the 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 british law is like the rules of the game they play in the Yu-Gi-Oh anime like it there it, it resembles maybe to like something that could be like a game people would play but like they just on the spot can be like I'm attacking the moon and you have all water creatures so you will become weaker because the tide has been destroyed. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's exactly what it is. This is a joke country. But anyway, does this mean we can crowdfund to get Sophie to become like the queen of England or something? Only if I get all five pieces of Exodia. So we have this principle called parliamentary sovereignty, which is that the House of Commons and the House of Lords and the Queen, importantly, the Queen, but now the King, um, is is part of all this. That they, that's how legislation is passed, and legislation can do anything. Um, there are no limits, literally none on parliamentary sovereignty that's the orthodox understanding of the constitution there are some like interesting liberal theorists who argue that maybe there are limits but like in in, in reality like no court has ever actually implemented any of those um so our supreme court as i as i, I uh, uh, as you might understand if there are no limits it's very different to most other supreme courts it can't strike down legislation 
like if you've got um if 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 congress in the us passes a piece of legislation which is contrary to the constitution then the supreme court can go this is unconstitutional and strike it down and the legislation doesn't apply it doesn't exist right like that's not something our supreme court can do it can't it, 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 yeah um so if you end up winning an election in this country which you can win with 30% of the vote pretty much of the people you can do anything you are now a dictator because you are the prime minister of the party who has the majority if you've got majority you can vote through any legislation you want as long as you wait a year because the house of lords can only delay for up to a year um so you win you win you can do whatever literally anything no limits um apart from the only limits being international law which can't be stopped in uk courts but can be stopped in international courts well not stopped they can't physically stop you from doing it but they can go seems illegal and bad and there can be consequences to that you know this is how states have sanctions applied against them um yeah so yeah that's the thing it's like there's, there's you can't introduce an emergency legislation that's going to violate international law they could do it for like i don't fucking know some horrible domestic policy they could do it for some like something that benefits businesses in the uk or something that they really just want to kind of you know smush through parliament or whatever but yeah in terms of like that that was again my understanding of the things that you've been explaining no you can't just like say i'm gonna do this thing when international law is like no this is this is bad actually you can't domestic courts also have an answer to some things which is that they can't strike down legislation but they can read it down they can interpret legislation in line with background constitutional principles so the rule of law for example um personal liberty these things a lot of like common law principles we have in the uk um you know habeas corpus all of this kind of stuff um is the idea is habeas corpus right to assemble um it's um no detention without ah. law right okay yeah sorry I, I think it means like show me the body it's yeah. body it, is it body of proof like it, it's the you need the grounds and evidence for someone to be detained I think it literally means um, it's to do with you can demand to see someone who has been detained. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, I'm not a legal historian, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but So we had this case, really huge constitutional case, called Annis Minnick, in which there was an attempt by Parliament to pass something called, this will become important, I promise, to pass something called an ouster clause, which is um, a clause which attempts to prevent legal challenge to the use of a power. So if you say the Home Secretary is able to detain anyone under the age of 18 on suspicion of terrorism, right? you could have a piece of legislation passed that, that says that. Um, we probably have um 
then the but you could also add a clause to it that says and no use of this power um should be challenged in in court for whatever um it's you know it's basically to try and prevent judicial review and like legal challenges to these kind of things the court in Annis Minnick um to vastly o- oversimplify um got one of these clauses and they said oh no this means any legally well-made decision under this power so actually it's only lawful decisions which can't be challenged you can challenge any unlawful decision and there have been lots of cases subsequent to this where the courts have been generous with their interpretation of the meaning of statutes to try and protect basic rights and liberties um and i think it's important to to just recognize that courts really do not like it when legislation tries to remove legal challenges because it undermines the really the other really really important and foundational principle of our constitution which is is the rule of law and there are comments in some recent recent i say last 20 years uh legal judgments that the courts might be willing if they needed to, these are comments that are made obiter, which basically means they're not part of the actual reasoning of the decision. They're kind of just commentary provided by the judges, which aren't legally binding. There are comments that they might be willing to draw a line and draw a limit on parliamentary sovereignty if parliament went too far. So this potential emergency legislation, if it were to include attempted ouster causes to prevent legal challenges, which certainly is the suggestion is definitely the suggestion of 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 braverman um would create a constitutional crisis for non-brits braverman was our home secretary yeah. before the 40k uh, youtuber yeah even even lord sumption who is a um verified anti-wokist who has he's one of our he's an ex-supreme court judge He's properly like anti woke, um, anti um, courts having too much power. Very pro parliamentary sovereignty. Even he, even he has come out and said that the proposed plans to declare um, Rwanda safe in, in law, even if it's not safe in reality, in contradiction of our international law obligations is unthinkable it's unbelievable he thinks that it's ridiculous in a democracy and you know worst person etc says <laughs> yeah i mean what's your read on like whether they will try like whether they will try to declare rwanda safe i think they will basically there are there are two ways the legislation can go either it goes far enough that the courts can't read it any other way. It has a notwithstanding clause that disapplies all of our international law obligations. It has a clause which disapplies all other bits of legislation which would contradict it. It has an ouster clause which prevents judicial review of decisions taken underneath it. This is Braverman's suggestion. Um, I think that would work in the, in the sense of we would be breaching international law, but it would work in the domestic courts potentially as long as they didn't go so far as to, you know, as they potentially suggested and cause a massive 
constitutional clash. Like, and in, in Braverman's article about this, she has a picture of Rishi Sunak bound up in red tape, which uh, with the red tape saying on it things like torture conventions. If you want to like get an idea of how this is being presented, but um, this is what Braverman said. She said. Legislation must circumvent the lengthy process of further domestic litigation to ensure that fights can take off as soon as the new bill becomes law. To do this, the bill must exclude all avenues of legal challenge, the entirety of the Human Rights Act and European Convention on Human Rights, other relevant international obligations or legislation, including the Refugee Convention, must be disapplied by way of not clear notwithstanding clauses. Judicial review, all common law challenges, all injunctive relief, including the suspensive challenges available under the Illegal Migration Act, must be expressly excluded. Individuals, blah, 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 whatever, they may be able to show they're medically unfit to fly, but home office decisions on these claims could not be challenged in court. Okay, so to be very clear and very explicit, that is fascism. Like, not oh, yeah. sort of like all oh, things are becoming fascist kind of way. That is a unilateral, dictatorial order which has no limits no challenge is directly overrides our own supreme court um that is that is fascism yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i i think that would work you know in the sense of that would be sufficient to if the courts didn't actually pick the fight that would be sufficient to make this possible um but it would be fascism uh the alternative is the more sort of moderate proposal which is that the legislation just says it's safe it maybe excludes or disapplies some things it may be you know limits challenge but it, it doesn't go that far um something less and that seems to be at the moment where sunak is falling he certainly where most of his cabinet are um it he has distanced himself from the braverman style proposals saying that legislation can designate rwanda safe without any attempt to override human rights law but the courts would read safe in line with 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 background constitutional principles in line with the human rights act i cannot see them interpreting the legislation in a way that would still facilitate removal to Rwanda. So it's a really complicated, knotty thing. But um, basically, if, if, if we do go so far as to adopt the Suella plan, yeah, no, that's... Yeah, that's going to be horrible. How fast would that process go through if they did push it that way? Um, could Would this be something that could be stopped by the next election? So they're running out of time. And by that, I mean like a couple of weeks because um, and that's if they held the next election um, at the absolute latest that they possibly could, um, which seems unlikely. Uh, all indications in the UK suggest they're prepping for a spring election. We tend to have elections here in the May. Um, it seems like that would would be the case um, from everything else that's being indicated. So. The problem is, is that, um, as I sort of indicated earlier, the House of Lords in this country cannot stop any legislation, but they can delay it and they can delay it for up to 12 months. And so 
this legislation would need to be passed through the House of Commons into the House of Lords within the next couple of weeks if that 12-month timer were not going to run out before the next election. So I'm hopeful that the House of Lords will... I, I don't think this could happen. I don't think this could even get through the Commons without significant protest and debate, even from the Tory benches, the, the Suella-style plan. So, uh, yeah, I think it would be delayed. And I think the House of Lords would even potentially delay the softer version because it does directly contradict um, what the courts have said. Um, yeah. So, yeah. This the, maybe, got- I mean, this will be a bit of a, a derail again. Um, uh, sorry, Jess. Um, but, like, the, I think it's worth talking about some of the currents of fascism in the in the in british politics at the moment because um the tories broadly um have been pushing fashward for a while but it's 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 important i think to see that as a faction within the tory party uh, and not just the whole tory party because again it's always important to make this distinction where we don't just think like everything's unbelievably fucked into kind of more more um rationally assess what's going on so we don't just like freak ourselves out lose all hope um but like Suella um, is a really clear example of someone who's in the faction of like of, of fash Tories, like properly actually fascist. And when we're saying fascist, you know, we are talking about um, Ian Danskin would say palingenetic ultranationalism, right? Um, that we're talking about hallmarks um, that aren't just like authoritarian. Most of the Tory party are quite authoritarian. There are some more more libertarian Tories, but like. Um, mostly they are quite authoritarian um, uh, politically politically speaking, but we're talking about fascism, right? Like, as in they have a, they they believe in a base who they think are the real Britain, who they think are more moral, who they think are crucially the actual majority of people, but they don't actually speak up, right? The uh, American listeners will be very familiar with the term the silent majority. Um, this belief in like some sort of, core group of believers who align with your morality and your morality is the true spirit of the country and so bringing about that morality through force uh the force of both the state and those deputized agents of the state the fascist like street gangs and militias um it will will resurrect the country into some sort of perfect true form that it, maybe it used to be or maybe it never was but it could aspire to become right this is like this is the the fash tendency within the, the Tory party. And uh, to evidence this, like Suella uh, stepped down uh, last week because of the, or the week before, because she was like th- the direct cause of the, uh, the, the Armistice Day um, fash rioting. Like she, she really like deliberately called out the, uh, the the white supremacist uh like street like yeah like street gangs there was, there was a literal like nod and wink in her piece doing this towards the negative policing or football fans like it it was the most explicit thing possible to literally try and recruit um the football hooligan fascist groups which operate like the street far right which the they country. did T- tommy robinson who has been who has been uh in many ways like pushed out of a lot of british political life like showed up for this um, and was cheered on by so many of the attending fash. Um, yeah, this is this has so much to do with like courting a base who could act as like um, as cops, basically, like as as citizen cops to enforce the morality of this of this fascist project. Um, and so that's why I'm saying like it's worth identifying. There is a specifically fascist tendency in the Tories. Like, there's a lot that they do that is just horrifying in general because. They are a very far right party at this point, and like there aren't really like 
moderate Tories who have like human beliefs that you know you'd have to have like a soul to have um but like they're not all fascists in this way and there is a there's a there's a faction who are yeah i think i think it's important to note that like to link this to like um the broader so the broader agenda of like anti-rights um which we're seeing within british politics um but also in international politics in other states in which fascism and the far right are very much on the rise. The point is that regardless of what games are played in domestic legislation here, in which we declare that Rwanda is safe and bind our courts into also finding it safe, even though that's, you know, even if we manage to make it binding within this country that two plus two does indeed equal five, um it obviously doesn't affect our international law obligations like we can't do parliamentary sovereignty might work here it doesn't it doesn't bind every international court or body in the world it doesn't bind all the states that we partner with um and so the whole idea is is that this is used as a sort of a wedge to try and rip up our international human rights law commitments more broadly. And this has been a hobby horse within certain elements of the Conservative Party for a long time, particularly the European Convention on Human Rights, which um, is conflated with the European Union and all of the anti-Brexit sentiment, um, despite it being... (laughs) Uh, the Council of Europe, which was set up predominantly, predominantly by the UK, is the is a institution in which the UK probably still of any country maintains the most influence. Like it is one of the vehicles of British imperialism. Um, so the idea that we would we would rip up the European Convention is really interesting from like a sort of like this tension in the Conservative Party because. Um, for a lot of Tories, that kind of soft law international power we have, um, a lot of which harkens back to the empire, um, is very important. So it's it's a it's a very big conflict in attitude because it, it is you know for the more fascist elements it is very useful to have this you know external enemy, um, and human rights in 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 general indeed are not very compatible with fascism they are the problem with human rights is that they are not enough right like i'm not going to say the human rights liberal order is is good and great and actually protects people i am going to say it's harm reduction um i am going to say that it is um certainly a, a a baseline I think the thing to say here is that like any Tory argument that is to move off of, of of human rights is not one that is based on an idea we can have a better deal, right? Um, and and anyone who would buy into this rhetoric should look at the better deal we've gotten from Brexit, right? It's just like it's it's fucking gibberish. Um, it's entirely disingenuous. It is not trying to get us better rights uh, than the than the than the Human Rights Convention. It's trying to get us fewer rights. Exactly. Any departure from the the liberal international human rights consensus is going to be one that hurts people more rather than one that you know 
we should be arguing for one that is better, the one that places far more emphasis on socioeconomic rights, for example. Um, Even like from a liberal perspective, like a lot of like self-respecting liberal lawyers agree that human rights are insufficient for actually um, that far more emphasis is placed on civil and political rights than the means of materially supporting those rights like it doesn't matter if you theoretically have a right to protest if you've got no time to go and protest because you can't eat um even liberals agree this um as, as a leftist you know i've got sincere criticisms of the human rights establishment of things like the un and their force as tools of further imperialism and colonialism throughout the world if anyone would like to read a full phd thesis on this topic i strongly recommend uh john duncan um soon to be doctor of human rights um good luck john and his life um but yeah if people don't if people know john the duncan great youtuber um fantastic uh theorist and very good explainer of really complex topics and he's just finished a phd thesis on exactly this subaltern challenges to the human rights uh framework and friend of all of us, John is a wonderful person. Oh yeah, John's the best boy. John has sent me loads of articles and stuff I used in my masters to like <laughs> to write about this stuff. So yeah, no, John's great. Um, but you know, we got Matthew Said in the Sunday Times um, a week ago today, claiming that non-reformment must be axed because it it, it, it human rights are no longer appropriate for a, a world in which there's so much movement of people, despite the fact that uh, the human rights framework was put in place after the second world war one of (laughs) the greatest movements of people and refugees ever but you know of course facts are um incredibly uninteresting oh they don't care about your feelings this is the this is true um and it it's you know we're, we're, we're seeing i'd like to link this to two things i'd like to link this to anti-trans stuff and i'd like to link this to palestine um because i think we've seen i think i'll start with palestine um i think we have seen an abandoned by my by lots of by lots of people and by lots of governments to a supposed commitment to universal human rights like um I am currently writing a piece on the uh, human rights of disabled Palestinians. The UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is one of the few international treaties that Israel is actually signed up to. Um, If people don't know, Israel is uh, renowned for not signing many of the human rights treaties that other states do um, for obvious reasons. For example, um, there have been attempts to get Israel to become a party to the European Convention on Human Rights, given their sort of political relationship to Europe. Um, They, I believe, are party to certain bits and pieces. Um, As as we all know, they participate in Eurovision, um, just like Australia, the other famous European country. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think, you know, it's important to note um, that right now is a particularly convenient time to be critical of the 
international human rights law consensus because um, it's not being applied universally, as we already know. But it's particularly convenient for allies of Israel that it's not being universally applied, that we're not identifying war crimes as war crimes, genocide as genocide, and breach of human rights as breach of human rights. So it's actually, this couldn't have happened at a better time, really, um, for linking into that that broader anti-rights rhetoric. Um, Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. I think, yeah, as critical as one can be of international human rights law, I think in the wake of everything that's happening, I've I've never been a bigger fan um, as as a sort of a bare minimum that even as as we know is just being completely ignored. Um, and you know, for trans trans people in this country, as I sort of mentioned earlier, um, there there are a lot of the gender critical movement in in this country is now becoming a lot more explicit in in. Um, in being anti-human rights so for example um recently i think it was over 30 gender critical organizations some of which are like dedicated to safeguarding in schools and you get that you get the gist um all signed this letter to the prime minister and to the equalities minister in this country kami badnock in which they asked for the gender recognition act to be reformed Now, the Gender Recognition Act only came into existence in this country as a direct result of a case brought at the European Court of Human Rights, which is the case of Goodwin, Christine Goodwin. She brought a case um, demanding legal recognition um, of her acquired gender, gender sex, they're the same thing in UK law. Um, And the court ruled that the failure of the UK to provide that was a violation of her Article 8 right to privacy. Um, and the ju- substance of the judgment itself is very clear that it was this um, the sort of contradiction between her identity and her transition and the way she was treated by society and contradiction between these things was unacceptable and violated her right to privacy. But um, despite this, there are now attempts by gender critical um, activists to try and effectively repeal this legislation. They already have tried to um, effectively repeal much of the substance of it by this proposed reform to the Equality Act, changing the definition of sex, which would have um, allowed um, for the treatment of, say, trans women, and it is mainly trans women, we have to identify this as trans misogyny, or as their sex assigned at birth, rather than as their required recognised legal sex, as uh, defined by a gender recognition certificate, would have allowed them to be excluded from single sex spaces, would have allowed them to um, be denied access to protection under, say, um, equal pay legislation in this country, when trans women are, as a group, some of the the, the largest uh, like deficiencies in terms of the pay gap that exists um yeah it was it was all horrible and it's all um it links to anti-abortion stuff and anti-abortion rhetoric it's all the same people this is all the same people all funded by the same people doing the exact same work to promote 
a fascist anti-rights rhetoric which would allow for the treatment of women as reproductive objects of trans people to be forced out of public life um all in contradiction of well-established international human rights law norms and because we have fallen so far away from this consensus in terms of the, the politics of these groups it is um it's a very scary time in terms of the advocacy for just the complete ripping up of them as i say things like co- anti-torture conventions being illustrated in mainstream newspapers as red tape is terrifying yeah Yeah. and i mean there's also it's also worth saying like our media is it's just not possible for people who are outside of the uk just how ridiculous our media is like um when suella and rishi i'm talking about i'm using their first names as if they're just like fun little characters this is exactly my point like (laughs) when when braverman and sunak were like publicly beefing there was a metro headline um it had taken like stills of their faces that made them look as like silly as possible. Like it was the most extreme expressions that they were pulling while they were giving like speeches. And like, this is entirely normal in a lot of our media because they want, they, they just want to talk to the public. Like we're like, we're idiot children. Like it's, it's really like all of our media is trying its hardest to make everything look in like so cartoony that it's just, it's not real. You don't need to worry about it. It's just silly. And if you look into it too much, it'll get boring. So you might as well just engage with the like the cartoon characters and what and, and the ways they're interacting and you know pick a favorite and pick a side that way. But don't worry about what it is they're saying because that's not the point. Um yeah I mean I think um it's really I think it's useful for I know a lot of our, our audience is American and that's just always the way with like online content creation. Um, and I think it's worth just talking for a second about like the different ways that like the ruling class does what they're trying to do in different places, because they're all trying to do the same thing, which is to have a completely passive and exploitable and pliable working class who never fight back. And even if they did have fight back, how would have no avenues to fight back. Right. And in different places at different times, what they, what they attempt, the way they attempt to do this is different. Right. When, for example, uh, there is more union busting and anti-union work done by the work, the ruling class when the working class organizes more because they don't need to bother if you're not if you're not organizing. Um, but in America, like a lot of the way that the that the working class are controlled is what, with like a, a lot of direct physical violence. The the American police forces are so militarized, and this has a lot to do with the history of like sheriffs and the special powers given to uh, like sheriff's departments because they were they were uh, uh, governing large territories and, and and so on as a colonial settler project in the UK like it's really worth understanding that like this this legal framework stuff is as vital to the question of the liberation of the british working class as like the militarization of the police is in america like the the legal legal and financial control are the two biggest mechanisms that the uk uses to other countries and to its own working class in the same way that like it it is as much of a tool of control in Britain as the gun is to the, Amer- the American police. Yeah, I think that's right. The law here, I feel, is weaponized a lot more by um, private fashy citizens than it is in 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 other countries. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's part of why we have a, such a higher, uh, a, like a, a supercharged culture of fucking 
uh, libel cases and and the way that we the way that we legislate like if you have over thirty thousand Twitter followers you are legally a celebrity and you face different like um uh like burden of of proof and so on in 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 a li- in a libel case um and your and your like your tweets are public statements about people you know? yeah yeah like just random tweets in the UK like I have I have been worried on occasion. You can just wake up the next day and open your email inbox and there will be a letter from a solicitor um, in which you are being sued for, for libel and defamation. The clear example here would be J.K. Rowling is, is exactly. famously litigious. Um, and, you know, try and disprove this one in court, Joanne. But yeah, is famously litigious to shut down the speech criticizing her of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the UK legal framework uh, uh, backs it up. You, you will just regularly see apology statements posted by primarily queer people in this country um yeah <laughs> because um one of these incredibly well-funded and litigious um gender critical people has decided that it's it's time to sue you for defamation one of the strongest threats to trans people's just general existence at the moment in this country is the continued attempt to shut down any questioning or of or reaction to transphobia by any sort of public institution, organization, or service as infringing upon their protected belief, um, which is worthy of respect in a democratic society. I have a video essay in my head on this whole topic <laughs> at some point, maybe. Um, but the the idea is that you know if 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 a pub kicks out um a, a queer gay bar kicks out two people in in adult human female t-shirts in this country then next thing you know there's a huge crowdfunder for litigation against them if a museum um doesn't want to hire out a room to a hate group to organize and have their meetings they'll be sued and even still like they may well lose right the bigots may still well lose this if it were to go to court but when you see all these apology statements made from made from queer people who've who've said you know jk rowling is a danger to children or some such right and then they've and then they've received the threatening letter like it's not because it's going to court it's because they've just received the threatening letter and they and they can't afford have you got the man money to fight a court case against jk rowling i certainly don't i don't have the money to heat my house yeah i can't pay for my prescriptions and and she and you know she knows this is the situation and that's why she uses it this way and it's 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 an incredibly important part of of the oppression of of leftists of uh, of queer people of of and all marginalized groups in in the UK like um just these like incredibly it's not just criminal law it's civil law is weaponized against us on a regular basis we are getting towards the time when we're going to have our Q&A but before that um Jess uh, do you have anything else you want to get like like cover from your own notes or whatever before we get to the q a no, no? I, I, no i finished my notes and we're yeah. all good okay great coverage i thought it was yeah, really good so let's let's dive in then uh, unless mule you had something to no i was just gonna say that's incorrect we're past the time for questions oh my goodness oh, well let's get okay. into the questions then uh so <laughs> idk jojo says wait a minute is jess on tiktok too i think i saw them make a vid about this too jess you on tiktok i am on tiktok but i don't believe i made a video about this Unless then, I've done yeah. that in my sleep at some point. What's your TikTok? Um, my TikTok is usually... I don't use it actively. I mainly use oh, it to okay. watch cat videos, if I'm honest. 
Um, I have used it to record some like speeches I've given at different uh, things. Watching cat videos is good and based. I'll just roll yeah. to the next question, which is from Maddie O, who says, why did they pick Rwanda for this plan? I think it's a really interesting question. There are very few countries who would want to take um, Britain's like leftover refugees <laughs> like honestly like one I think it was picked um as a deterrent I think they picked one of the worst countries that they could think of I mean apologies to the people of Rwanda but I'm sure it's true for many people that when I hear Rwanda the second word I hear in my head is genocide um like it's very in very recent history um has been associated with incredibly severe violence um and you know i think it's it's just an extension of the colonial project for it to be a, you know a, a, an african country um in which britain dumps um its obligations into um you know it's it's to me this can be understood as nothing but colonial oh absolutely i think there's also like um an important imperialist relationship is always the client state and like that's you know a series of of trade and business relationships form uh, where one is clearly the stronger party who is telling the other one what to do but the other one you know just sees opportunity in, in doing it and like we gave them a lot the, of money that the, like... the, the Brit- british government is giving rwanda a bunch of money to do you know it's, it's a that's a big deal yeah and i think that there's i believe there's been discussion that even if this plan doesn't happen, we might not get that money back. Like this is, as, as it's been difficult for Rwanda as far as um, it's concerned in terms of its international reputation because the Supreme Court, as I said, just ripped it to shreds. Um, but in terms of like direct profit off of this, it I think it will be more than happy. Yeah, I, it's like they're I don't know that. I don't know how much it's worth talking about their 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 reputation with regards to the to the it's true right that a lot of people think of the Rwanda genocide as, as soon as they think of Rwanda like one of their one of their um their leaders I think I believe it's the president um was it was in fact in uh, a leader of the rebel force who ended the civil war and and ended the genocide um and and you know and so and so um it should not be thought of as just like having rolled on from the genocide and still being the same regime or whatever, but like you've, you've read to us all of the things about the ways that refugees have been treated and critics of the country have been treated here in the episode. I think that speaks for itself. The deterrent is not in reality anyway, is it? Deterrent is in the mind. And it's, it's the whole point is, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if Rwanda was like um, a utopia, if people don't think of it as such, it's the as a deterrent. Of course. Sure. Uh, the next one is from, I don't know, Jojo again. Uh, doesn't Rwanda also have the funded M23 rebels that also force labor of Eastern Congolese people as well? I think this is in relation to the uh, ongoing Democratic Republic of the Congo genocide currently going on. I'll speak to you the fact that I, I don't know the details of that, but I, given, as I said, like everything we've seen, I wouldn't be surprised. There you go. 
Uh, Kara, do you want to do the next one? Okay, so the next question is from Yukot Scott. It uh, They ask, are there any reliable UK news outlets for those outside the country you'd recommend? I've been repeatedly let down by Novara. Depends what you're looking for. Um, like, if you just want general updates on what's happening in the UK, then honestly, something like um, the independent will fill fulfill that need i'm not saying it's like the best yeah thing in the yeah, world we have but... our we have we have our cnn kind of thing like it's just you you can understand establishment bias but it's still yeah yeah but if you want like actually like if if for example you you want to read up on like trans stuff here i wouldn't read anyone except like trans publications i personally rate still open democracy um, I've written for them quite a few times and they have generally been good, but they're more um, sort of like analysis and investigations. They won't update you on the day to day news or whatever, but they are useful to read and they have like global coverage. So they are a good publication anyway. The next one is from KCAT48884. Uh, given that it was the Supreme Court that prevented the Rwanda plan, how vulnerable is it? And the judicial system as a whole to take over to take over by billionaire fascists like they've done in America. So the interesting thing here is we don't have um, political appointments to the Supreme Court, which is obviously a far better system than than in the US. So we can't have the same thing where um, we just have like political appointees of whoever fits the current regime's agenda. Um, the fact that Americans do have that is wild. Um, that makes it far less vulnerable. It tends to be, generally speaking, either very small C conservative, small C conservative, kind of liberal, Oxbridge educated, um, just rich people. Like not in the sense of like being gazillionaires or whatever, but in the sense of being very comfortable, well off for generations. Um, the people I went to university with um, will become Supreme Court judges. Um, not, me, not me, unfortunately. Our um, our organs of state and our political instruments um, uh, evolves like are systematically downstream of like absolute monarchy. Like we had we had uh, landed gentry are the only people allowed to vote. Kind of democracy was our our first form of democracy, right? Um, and then it's 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 like moves from there historically. So it's not like with America with a kind of um uh radical, at least you know, nominal attempt towards like equality and democracy to begin with, that then is like institutionally captured uh by the ruling class and and by capital and so on. Um in in Britain it's it's much more like uh say we have the we have the system where um one political party uh, has to get in and then fill cabinet positions because we used to have that the prime minister once elected would fill the cabinet positions with people from any party he liked um and it was always a he um any party he liked depending on who he thought would do the job well and then um deliberately to frustrate democracy the king changed the system to be this party system where they had to have one party win and fill in that way so it's like it's important to understand like our legacy in 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 britain is all frustrating and obfuscating the, the 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 fact that we still are just ruled by toffs yeah and i think um it's important to note that like judges in this country are 
by the fascists and by the press generally villainized rather than um attempted at capture like um judges have been pictures have been put on of them on the freight on the on the on the front of newspapers in this country with the headline enemies of the people like it's um they represent a sort of just like boring establishmentness um a sort of lack sometimes a lack of 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 any political or intellectual curiosity generally rather than being active weapons of fascia exceptions being um rare um although you do get people like lord sumption as previously mentioned who afterwards decide to go into that sort of funness um yeah but it's it's yeah i think also because the supreme court just as I, as I was saying it has so little power hmm. comparatively to the u.s oh yeah there's yeah, much yeah, less yeah. motivation to try and rig it yeah like yeah it, it's a bit boring really <laughs> um which you get, which I mean, returns to a point about obfuscation. Like, boring is the main way that we keep people out of politics. Um, yes. The next question is from IDK Jojo. Um, are there any actions we could try to do, uh, do, we can do to try and stop the government to move away from the ECHR or support asylum seekers? And what organizations can we support who fight for the rights of asylum seekers? As I mentioned earlier, um, all of these legal challenges and stuff are only made possible by direct action and activists on the ground um a lot of these um organizations who um like stop deportation often work with lawyers like um there are a lot of lefty lawyers who 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 do immigration work um and 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 try and stop these cases and themselves are violently targeted by the press or by fash um um and it, yeah, it's a lot of it is about, um, you know, there there um, a, a plurality of methods. Um, there there are the things we can do in court. There are the things we can do in politics, and there are the things we can do direct action on the ground in real politics. Um, you know, it's um, do do stuff you would do in any other kind of activism. Engage in mutual aid to. Um, you know, build up communities which are strong enough to like fight back when this stuff happens. Like, it's yeah. You you if you watch this show, you know the answer. Okay, next one is uh, from Snornat. Uh, it seems like a new chatter. Never heard any questions from her before. Uh, question for Jess. I would love to hear what you see as your tools as an activist journalist with this legal expertise. It seems like such a powerful combination of skills, but also in these really undemocratic, complex systems. How do you decide where to go to work and how do you link it up with... Sorry, how do you link up your work with other kinds of struggle and action? Yeah, so um, I think most fundamental is I try and keep in touch with and work with grassroots activism. Like um, a, a lot of the time I'm doing stuff I'm being asked to do by other people. Like um, like the thing when I when I worked at TSN, like TSN's slogan was, and I, I think this like is kind of one of TSN's slogans this kind of represents my work more generally, is information is intervention. Um, and like that's kind of the idea right is that I know things about hard complex things through years of study and being fortunate enough to go to posh person university and get taught all of these things and 
um I try and like accept that that is something that I have and a skill I have and I can be most useful when I weaponize that to try and support grassroots activism like um so you know things like for the trans community like providing like analysis and explainers of legal cases on what the actual risks are and what the risks aren't um being able to be on the show like this and be able to talk about really difficult complex legal stuff and try and explain it to a way that um explain it in a way that people can use to go on from here to 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 be informed and use it to inform their own work uh, and their own activism um i'm tomorrow i'm going to manchester um and i'm going to um report on the brianna jai murder trial which i can get into because i've got a press pass and because i understand all of the relevant law because i've studied it um and i can hopefully provide reporting on that which people can use to do good other work i kind of see myself as um working to provide tools to other activists to go and do far cooler stuff than i do um i just try and use use what i what i know to to try and help as much as as much as i can i kind of miss the old stuff i used to do like you know breaking into buildings and climbing through windows and stuff but i i do less of that nowadays mostly because i'm really mm-hmm. disabled but yeah um plurality of methods jenny azoth has asked do you have any advice for anyone trying to get into journalistic activism kind of a similar question i think okay so no because i did it by accident i just started writing about things and then <laughs> like that i knew about and found interesting and then suddenly um people started asking me to write things for them and i'd be like oh, okay i'd write things for them and then suddenly I was at things where I needed a press pass and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just join the NUJ and apply for one of those. And now I'm accidentally a journalist. That's how it happened. On that then, could you talk to us a little bit about the, because um, I know that I, I saw you tweeting just earlier about the police uh, slamming you into a wall after you showed the press pass. So I'm not, I don't want anyone to get the impression that having a press pass is, <laughs> sorry, but could you talk a bit about the process of getting that? Okay. So you need to start getting paid first. So um, not, loads but i i um basically you need to be able to show that like to join the nuj you need to be able to show that journalism is what you get your income from so i was able to do this by one being a uni student and having basically no income anyway um and so the few hundreds of pounds i got here and there doing bits for different people um i was able to basically go like this is an income ta-da look at me and then i had to go to an nuj like meeting like a branch meeting and i had to get elected which is basically you go and you'd be like look i'm a real journalisms and here's all the journalisms i do and so i talked about like my honor oak reporting and stuff like that um and yeah, no, that convinced them and they agreed. Um, and then I, uh, I once I had NUJ membership, you're allowed to apply for a press pass if you can show that it's something you need to use. Um, and again, because of Honor Oak and like me doing in-person reporting like that, I was able to demonstrate that like, no, that's a thing I actually need. Um, 
And so I got one. I have a UK press card now. Um, so yeah, it's um, basically I was, there are like publications, like I don't know what your background is, but I started doing writing for like really small publications that are specifically designed for like minority groups. So like I started writing a couple of things for a publication called The Unwritten, which is specifically for like disabled people to talk about disability issues. Um, I did stuff for um, like, I've done stuff for trans rights who pay a hundred pound a pop to trans people to write about pretty much anything you want. I did a lot of stuff for TSN, all of that I did for free, but it helped me get um, work at like places like Open Democracy um, where I've written stuff. Um, and yeah, so you basically, if you work for like these small publications that pay you a pittance of like 50 pounds a time or whatever, which isn't like, if you're writing something good, you're probably spending way more time on it than, than that pays for. But um, it, it um, you can use those bylines, they're called, to, to try and, and, and get more more work other places um if you're like me you'll mostly get rejected um from publications because uh what i have to say is not necessarily what they want to publish um which is why i've got a patreon now um i'm i'm you know starting to write more stuff um independently with support from from people who are really interested in what i have to say and what's that Patreon? At? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my Patreon is new. It's just Jesso Thompson on Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash Jesso Thompson to be clear. The last question then is uh, from Davidia Games and it says, what are some particular ways that the soft power of the UK is hampered or threatened by its flouting of human rights law? Ooh, I think you write PhD thesis on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give it a try. Um, the only power the UK has, okay, the UK economy is, I don't think people understand, the UK economy right now is, is complete dog shit. Like, every other country pretty much, at least in the Imperial Corps, is, is doing okay-ish, like, economically after COVID. We are in an, in the midst of an, an, an economic crisis. There are fears we might have a recession um, next year. We have um, inflation that people are celebrating has just fallen to five percent um it was previously double um that's absolutely insane in in a first world country um you know we have a problem in this country where pretty much all of the wealth in the country is concentrated in a singular city uh london um with much of the rest of the country being effectively destitute and even our statistics are way off, by the way. Like our population is uh, uh, consistently underreported in population statistics by a quite a wide margin. Like it's over five percent wrong, uh, and so there are there are actually quite significantly more people in the country than we report. Which means that like the wealth that we're reporting is even is is yeah, lower like, per capita even than, even smaller yeah. per per capita. Yeah, yeah. and at, at literally every single council. I mean, bar a few, I think, outside of Westminster and, and even some in London are, like, bankrupt. 
you know my city council has announced it's about to declare bankruptcy um it's 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 honestly like a very impoverished country like like levels of poverty are enormous um the state of our public services is a joke um waiting lists for our healthcare is horrendous like you might hear and read that we've got free public health care in effect we we don't a lot of the time um it's from from the outside the uk presents itself as this um sort of ancient world power um and so that reputation is literally all we have and so by i mean brexit was bad enough like buttering our relationships with other states, which, as I say, is pretty much all we've got left, um, is is ridiculous and stupid. Even in like a purely self interested British survival sense, because um, that influence, you know, our, our position on the Security Council, um, those kind of things, are, are how we maintain influence, or how we maintain power, how we. Um, continue to exist how we are able to borrow on the rates we do even though our economy doesn't support the rates we borrow on um it's it's uh yeah it would be very bad for the uk to lose that reputation i mean one of the worst things that ever happened in 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 the the 20th century to britain was the Suez crisis which was a similar example of Britain ignoring its international law obligations to the extent that it destroyed its its international reputation. Um, it led eventually probably to the devaluing of the currency, to a lot of economic crisis in the 60s. Um, I, I think, I think um, given it's all we've got, um, I, I think it's, that's why I think so many senior Tories are terrified of uh, the the rise of the fascist rhetoric around ripping up that power that we do have. Yeah. And I mean, and it's also why it's simultaneously also why they're so, so scared of the big resurgent wave of organized labor in the UK. Um, but I want, I wanted to say on soft power, like one of the most common mechanisms of soft power and imperialism is foreign aid and creating a dependent relationship where foreign aid is given from a more powerful nation to a less powerful nation. And this is still something that the Britain still practices a little, but like with our economy being so fucked, like there is a genuine divide in the ruling class between like, we want this soft power and we don't have the money for it. And like, we don't have the money for it. It's not not articulated like that. It's articulated like we shouldn't, we should stop giving money to brown people because they don't deserve it um baroness nicholson would be an example i've I've seen of this where she she explicitly argues like they don't deserve it we should be giving this money to we should be keeping this money for britain instead baroness nicholson by the way is one of the most prominent anti-trans people in our yes and anti-queer more generally yeah partner of jk rowling in in charitable endeavors um but yeah it's um yeah like our soft power is our other forms of soft power are are tiny and dwindling Mm mm-hmm Britain is a failed state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um, true. All, pow- all power to the RMT. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's so. That's the end of the questions. Um, so, Jess, if you have any ideas for homework for our chat, fire away. But if not, tell us what you'd like to promote. 
Okay, so my homework is basically to try and support um, local direct action groups who, in whatever way you can, whether it's by joining them, whether it's by generally helping your community. Um, because as, as I've tried to emphasise, um, legal stuff is all good and fun, but court cases can only be handed down when people aren't already in Rwanda, right? Like the the people who stopped um, people being forced onto those planes are to be credited for enabling us boring lefty lawyers um doing this other kind of work so yeah that's what you can do i mean my other just general homework and this is always my homework is like keep informed information is good um and you know read independent journalists and small groups and people who who are talking about this um Read stuff from like Human Rights Watch, who have absolutely lambasted the Rwanda plan. Um, you know, um, lots of NGOs and stuff make reports on this kind of thing. You can keep informed. They won't always be good and perfect, the stuff that's said. But it is, you know, will um, keep you on up to date. And as we've seen, like two thirds of people in this country don't even know what the Rwanda plan is. So information is is good and useful and important. And, you know... Maybe if you've got family or friends or relatives who are supportive of the Rwanda plan, um, maybe make sure they actually know what it is. Um, yeah. If you've been inspired by that to go and check out some independent journalism, you can find some independent journalism at patreon.com slash Jess O'Thompson. Yeah, I am on Twitter slash X or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm also on Blue Sky and trying to gradually post more on there that... Um, yeah, I, I am still more on Twitter for the moment. I have a website, jessothompson.co.uk. You can find everything I've ever written on there, probably, if, if I've updated it recently. Um, yeah, um, I write a lot about anti-trans legal cases um, and the growing use by the anti-trans right of human rights language and language of equality to actually under- undermine and attack human rights. Yeah, that's me. Fab, thank you so much for joining us. Um, look forward to speaking again. Yes, same here. Thank you for having me. Hope it's been useful. It's been Bye. fantastic. Thank you, Jess. Bye, Jess. Right, well, um, all that is left to do uh, is to promote us now. Uh, so let's start by saying that Red Planet is made possible by the support of our patrons uh, at patreon.com slash red underscore planet, where you can support us through a variety of different tiers that have a variety of different rewards, the smallest of which is called Sprite Mode, um, which uh, is only $2 a month, two quid a month, uh, some number of other currencies that you could possibly imagine uh, if you look at it on your own website locally to you. Um, Sprite Mode, uh, I should probably open the page so I can tell you. Uh, what sprite mode gets you unless someone else has already done this I'm there. I thought I was going to remember and I didn't remember we've been doing this show for like two years now it's um, two pound a month get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a sprite benefits include the secret and forbidden knowledge that you're helping Red Planet team early access to VODs access to the Red Planet Discord enjoy yourself
<laughs> Fantastic. Um, but if you uh, if if a if a sprite drank from a serum of monstrous energy and became more monstrous, Kira, what would the sprite become? That's my riddle for you. Oh wow, it's a fantastic question. Um, it would become a goblin and therefore be obligated obligated to uh, become one of our patrons at Goblin Mode for ten dollars a month sure. or um, eight fifty quid. That's right. That's um, right. And then other various Nailed forms it. of currency. Um, you know the fake thing that we all shuffle around this planet. So everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your cabology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode and a pack of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that. And access to exclusive red planet discord hangouts, which we just had one recently. We did. It was me and Tim. And we were watching Zeitgeist, and in fact, we only managed to watch half of it because we both had uh, an absurd amount of stuff to say about it because <laughs> of how wrong it is. So oh, um, we should watch the other half of it, and I'll have an absurd amount to say about yes. how wrong it is. I can join in halfway through the normal way to watch Zeitgeist. <laughs> uh, and if if possible, I will watch Zeitgeist in all the other normal ways as well. So Sophie, what if I want to go a little harder than goblin mode? What what if you, what, if you were to what pound mode? a second monster and transform <laughs> from right. a goblin into a beast, um, then yeah, you would be obligated to support us. Because we are we are actually supported directly by actual sprites, goblins, and beasts, um, as well as our viewers, many of whom also are sprites, goblins, and beasts. But <laughs> if you're true. a beast and you go beast mode, uh, then we can offer you all the stuff from the previous tiers, everything we've said so far, and also pin badges. Yep, pin badges. You can wear your new excellent Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It's completely cool and good to do. But... And I should add that Beast Mode is for $20 a month. Or for so how much money? This. For and how many quid? Pounds. 17, 17 pounds. pounds. Quids. Pans, 17 quid. All right. <laughs> okay. Um... I'm going to blame fluffing so much of the Patreon promo on me still being sick and then do a really slick seg to our, our final tier, which is sick O mode. So if you're sick like me and have the dog <laughs> flu, then you are a sicko, uh, which means you support us for $100 a month or £85 a month, etc. Um, and if we support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you everything we've already said, plus... A very special thank you message at the end of the every stream mule, which looks like this. Thank you so much to JBP, Nell on Starfire, Queen Pib, Cassie Tastrophe, Risk Inverse. Thank you for being our sickos. Whoa. Thank you so much. Thank you, sickos. Perverts. Um... <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the perverts. Uh, it's also <laughs> worth us saying that we do have some merch um kira is actually wearing some right now you can see it modeled here by me in the picture if you're watching uh but also you can see it on kira live right now that's pretty cool uh that's our queer existence is resistance hopper's molotov shirt uh we will hopefully have new designs soon but you can get it as a t-shirt you can get a hoodie you can get a tote bag it's pretty cool over at mercenarycreative.com um yes but what if you specifically really enjoyed one of us 
but not the other ones. That's the <laughs> round of promotion we're getting into now, where people can find the specific host they liked and ignore the ones they find annoying. So uh, if uh, if we've got any misogynists in chat, uh, where can they find just the man? Mule, uh, where, where, where can people find you? Uh I don't want misogynists coming to my channel. Uh, you will get fucking okay. Told. Uh, man uh, appreciators, find you. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you if you're in, into men, I guess I'm also into men. I also have that because you are a bisexual disease. Palestine. I am bisexual Palestine. That's right. It's <laughs> it's a real problem. Um, I experience it on a regular basis. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash DJ M-U-E-L. Uh, I've started streaming again. Uh, that's going pretty fun. Uh, so that's really, really cool. Uh, what do I talk about? I talk about all the stuff that we talk about on Red Planet, but just in a less specified and targeted manner. So you leave the stream not really understanding what's happened. And that's fun for everyone, isn't it? Um, so that's that. Uh, I'm also doing stuff on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash DJ M-U-E-L. Uh, just did a video about TikTok Live and how bad it is. I've got a bunch of shorts on there. Um, but you could, why watch shorts on YouTube? Because they're trying trying to shove that in somehow into the platform you could just watch it on the original place that does that stuff which is tiktok because i'm also on there that's djmu3l i've done a lot of tiktoks uh that are pretty fun people seem to like them so there you go enjoy that and also give me money on patreon.com forward slash djmuel uh because you could get some exclusive content on there like movie reviews and all that kind of nonsense so there you go but what if i wanted to check out all the different links of our amazing Kira Chats. Oh, that's me? Oh it's my you. goodness. Yeah, I'm Kira Chats. Well, um, you can find all my links at my link tree. It's linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. Uh, the main things I'm up to these days, though, is um, doing a lot of uh, Palestinian reporting, I guess. Especially, you know, scuffed because it's, you know, I'm not like a real reporter, but I'm still doing some reporting. So I'm doing Palestinian reporting on my Blue Sky. Uh, my Blue Sky is kirachats.bsky.social. Um, also check out my profile there because I have a, a Zionist scum mute list that a lot of people have been, been enjoying because if you can mute a ton of Zionists on the site and not have to deal with their shit. Um, so yeah, check out my Blue Sky also, I stream five days a week, so I'll be streaming again tomorrow. I've been covering a lot of Palestine there. Um, so my stream is twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. Everything is mine is Kira Chats. And uh, while I have the floor, I like to say this isn't uh, me promoting myself, but this is just me promoting, generally speaking, um, BDS, the Boycott, Divest, Sanction uh, Movement Against Israel, um, is doing a call to action, making uh, tw- November 29th, the global day to st- um, of action to stop the Gazan genocide. So uh, just FYI, look look in your local, you know, Facebooks, Instagrams, what have you. Ch- uh, reach out to your local organizers to see if they're doing any actions for November 29th. Palestine action would be the one I would go to straight away if you're in the yeah, US. Yeah, Pal- Pal- Palestine action in the UK. And they also have been opening like different chapters in other countries as well. So I know there's some people in our community that have been working with them, which is really cool to see because they're in front of the show and they do fantastic work. So where can I find Sophie? I'm a Sof I'm a Soph head. Okay. That's a- 
Wow. I, I knew you were. You're a real yeah. one. I, Sorry, I, I didn't. I, I've, I've um, been kind of nervous to tell you, and I, I feel like no, now's a good time. I knew. I think you just had that vibe of like someone who's really like thoughtful and considerate and kind, like all of my all of my biggest fans are. Um, so if you are a soap head like Kira and you share all of her excellent qualities, then you can find mm-hmm. all my links at linktr.ee slash Sophie from Mars. It's always literally always a good time to just send me some money if you feel like it, which you can do directly there. Uh, or you can subscribe to send me money monthly at patreon.com slash Sophie from Mars. Um, all my writing that I do goes up there early. And then the videos, when they turn into videos, go up there early too. Um, I got a funny little wacky piece about... Uh, a guy called the Foom Scroller. And if you want to understand what that means, you can only find out at the moment by reading what I've written. But very shortly, you'll be able to find out by going patreon.com slash from Mars and seeing the video there early. Um, I will have a couple of different episodes of my series Monster Man going up in the next couple months, hopefully. Um, making a thing about Alex Jones. It's all popping off. Patreon.com slash Sophie from Mars. I'm also on all of the social media sites, regrettably, but I think it's worth just reiterating that you can just go to linktree.ee slash Sophie from Mars and find ways to give me money. Um, right. I think that's everything I would like to say. Uh, we also I'm, have wait, a, we I'm also have a... another cis man that's part of this operation. And oh, I was trying you... to leave him out. He, I, really... I know, but I feel like I, I, I mean, I'm no, trying to I do better. I'm trying to uplift trying my to fellow uplift cis man. man. I, yeah, so. I remember the, the I remember the di- I remember the diversity meeting. I remember what we what we talked about. Yeah, we've I, had a talking I'll, to I'll play along with it. Okay. Um, well, that's uh, our our other our our other our producer right now is telling us that we have to promote men more. <laughs> of saying we don't promote men enough, and I'm just getting a note in my ear that we're he is uh, really furious about this. That we he's really saying something are. about men's rights. Is that right? Yep. He says okay. that they don't have any. And he's talking about divorce. Okay, I'm I'm going to actually mute comrade and carry on now because we're talking about uh, our our comrade Tim, uh, who uh, who can be found at uh, ee slash dreadconquest for the Tim heads who are the realest Red Planet fans of all. Um, thank you all so much for watching. Great episode, great discussion. Grateful for Jess as always. See you next week. Bye. See you next one. Look at that fingers. Whoa. Whoa. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Comrade Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.